Today is Friday, June 30th, 2023. Thank God it's Friday. You're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Today we meet Pastor Quentin, who I, I just met. Uh, he was the first one in the room, kept me company while all of the other uh, sleepyheads uh, crawled their way to their computers or phones, I guess. Uh, anyway, so we get to hear a little bit of his testimony. He's a pastor from Tennessee, somewhere in Tennessee, I think. Um, anyway, so we talk about that. We talk about his interesting testimony for a while. Uh, then we talk about the Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist movie. I was impressed. Um, I mean, I, I still can't pinpoint why I was impressed. I mean, as far as a Christian movie, it, it does line up with what we think, you know, what most Christians will say they believe will happen in the rapture in the Bible. Um, uh, putting it in our political climate that we are just steeped in. Um, I don't, whether or not you think it's good or bad, it does an accurate job of representing our current situation in, in the United States and a little bit around the world of the, the climate and the pop culture of the day. So um, whether or not good or bad, it's an accurate portrayal. Um, then we talk about, does God give bad commandments? Going off Ezekiel twenty twenty five, where it says, God gave them laws that were not good. Uh, so we talk about that. Um, then we talk for like an hour <laughs> um, about... Uh, Someone was real. Someone used to be a Christian, right? So if someone says they used to be a Christian. Were they never a Christian? Um, did they really, really believe? And then they aren't a Christian anymore. And round and round we go. So um, enjoy this podcast. And if you would like to, um, I don't know if you'd like to what? If you'd like to read, check out the Ask a Christian book on Amazon. It's free to read with a Kindle subscription. It may not be much longer uh, free to read with a Kindle subscription. Uh, Kindle Unlimited, but it is currently now. So check that out while you can. Otherwise, you, you know, buy it and support us. That'd be awesome. Um, you can also check out the Ask a Christian store, grab a t-shirt or hat or something, support this podcast, sharing the gospel with people. Uh, no matter what crazy topic we get or tangent we get off on in the podcast, we always try to bring it back and steer it straight to Jesus. If people aren't going to believe and, you know, follow Christ, they can still hear the gospel a lot. And who knows what will happen in their future. If they're still breathing, they've got a chance. So that's the goal. Um, direct people to Jesus and let all the other stuff fall by the wayside. Uh, you can also click on the donate link and help support us just straight up financially. That would be awesome. If you'd like to join and share or ask questions, the link to join Clubhouse Live where we currently are is in the description. You can email questions at askachristianclub at gmail.com. And if you'd like to be... Uh, your own special butterfly and, uh, you know, have more one-on-one -on -one be a guest to ask questions or talk about Christianity or your faith or whatever. Um, let me know. And we're, I'm trying to, to gear this more towards, uh, you know, instead of 20 people talking at once, uh, maybe a little bit less than that. So have a uh, good audio, have a camera that you're not scared to use and let's do this thing. Uh, oh yeah, speaking of, I think the, the podcast already went out of me and uh, Michael, who you'll hear in this podcast, who's a regular atheist contributor, uh, questioning and things like that, a resident atheist. Um, we had a little one-on-one -on -one chat, so be, for, be sure and look for that. Gain more insight and uh, help me help me armchair quarterback and, and diagnose him. <laughs> I'm rambling. All right, have an awesome Friday. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. Okay. So where do you uh, where do you find the difference, or how do you separate between apologetics, where you come to places like this, and you have to have these real intellectual, articulate debates, and uh, you know usually people don't change their mind anyway. They may be convinced of you know something to go home and think about, 
um, versus your church on Sunday where, you know, if there's if there's guests or people that, you know, aren't Christians and they maybe get invited or come with someone and you're like, hey, repent, believe the gospel, have eternal life. And they're just like, yes, I recognize a need for that. I want that. What, what do you see the big difference is like between those two groups? Oh, the big difference is uh, like when I come here on Clubhouse, I look at it as training ground. So that, you know, uh, I actually I come in and I sit and I pretty much listen for the most part. I learn about things I didn't know about, like these uh, Hebrew Israelism, um, uh, just anything, other religions, Muslims, atheists, whatever, all the things in detail going over them so I can know how to apply. <clears throat> Even in my messages, I can know the truth when people are coming in and what they believe and what they're stuck and bound to, you know, I just take the good with the bad and I stay consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't let it uh, affect what I'm doing as a minister or as a pastor, but I do sit so that I can learn and listen, I listen and learn new ways to approach people. And, uh, you know, keep the Lord first, really. What do you see the differences in the people? Um, like the, the people who challenge Christianity, like the ones that, um, I don't know, some sort of, uh, I don't want to say spirit. <laughs> I mean, probably that too. But like the difference in someone who who's willing to go to church, sit there, and then, you know, jumps up to the altar call and is like, yes, I want that. Versus, you know, the type of person that, that just wants to come kind of, um, you know, convince Christians that their whole religion is wrong and they're right. Like, I don't know. What do you see? Uh, I mean, I guess my answer is <laughs> it's a spirit, uh, you know, not like demon spirit, but like some like some sort of attitude or chip on their shoulder. I don't know. How do you see that between the two different types of people? The, yeah, the difference is repentance. The people who are sincere repent. Uh, and, the, and I see other people who are just stuck in their ways. They hear the truth. They will not repent. That that literally is the difference. People are, are full of pride, and they'll die with that pride. Whereas other people, when they come to the knowledge or the realization of who God really is, uh, understanding that it is the gift of God uh, through you know the grace that He's given us through, through Jesus Christ, people can literally see that and accept that, repent, and say, "Hey." I believe this and I'm going to, you know, go with God. Whereas on the other side, folk will not repent even when they see the truth in their face and they're trying to push their agenda. You know, that that's the only difference I see. You know, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's right. Uh, last, last night I was watching uh, the, the newest, um, I guess, movie in the Left Behind series, The Rise of the Antichrist. Um, I don't know if it's exactly the same as like the one that came out, I, I think, like early 2000s. How it was, it was kind of, I don't know, a little cheesy how, you know, the rapture takes place and everyone like is, vanishes and their clothes are perfectly folded in a nice, neat pile. Um, that, that was a little I'm like, ah, I don't know. I get the point. But you know what, man, the, la the one last night with like Kevin Sorbo and I think is it, is it Neil McDonald, the, the guy with really bright blonde hair that plays a bad guy in a lot of movies, um, like they were in it and it was a really well done movie. So I don't know if it was exactly the same, the same installment of that series or a new take on it. But um, 
I mean, I liked it, and we saw a lot of what you're talking about. Like, I, I thought it was really, like, if you're a politically conservative Christian, it's just like red meat, and you're going to love it and probably shout amen. Um, if you're not, <laughs> you're, you're going to, uh, you know, have an adverse reaction to to maybe the plot or the message. Um, but, I mean, you can't say it's not, like, decently done um, as far as, like, professional technical ability. But, I mean, you see all kinds of, of scenarios represented there. You see, um, I mean, I guess I'm I'm happy with it that they covered a wide range of stuff it wasn't just like you know a very holy christian um and a very um bad mean atheist that's like i i i'm an atheist but i'm mad at god too like it, it really showed like all types of people so like you know uh, a christian that maybe wasn't so christian an atheist that was bad um but also atheists that were not like you know good moral atheists yet they missed god um, so it really did a good job of showing all types of things. And I think, you know, how we speculate, you know, like the Mark of the Beast, and we speculate exactly how all this stuff will happen. Like we know it's going to happen the way the Bible says, but we don't always know how. So we have to kind of use our imagination. And I, th I think it did a really good job of that, uh, which kind of plays into right what you're saying. Like it's about the heart, it's about the spirit. And, and we, I, I get to see a lot of that represented. How some people, you know, the ones that say, well, I need proof. I need Jesus written for my face. I think it's going to be like, you know, when the, the rapture happens. Um, people are going to say that too. And it's going to be like, well, look, here's the Bible. And it's going to go increasingly more and more and more in line with the Bible. And no matter what, there will still be some people that are like, no, I just don't see it. It's like every single thing in this book over the last three years that you've lived through this has happened line for line and you're still unwilling. Anyways, that, that was kind of to your point and I guess a little bit of a side tangent. But some, sometimes no matter if you put God right in front of their face, they still won't believe. Right. There's a lot of people who are just not going to believe. They're just not going to be saved, period. I mean, everyone obviously is not going to be uh, a believer or saved. Doesn't matter how much you try to uh, uh, teach them and help them out, you know. But it's our job to preach the gospel to every creature, you know, that because we don't know, we don't know who's going to be saved. We don't know who's going to receive Christ. So that's why it's our job to go out here and share the truth of the gospel, share the good news, because uh, that way no one can ever have an excuse that they didn't hear what the truth was. And we can't save anyone. But if we present this message of, of the grace of God, you know, we give people an opportunity that, uh, you know, that they can make a sound decision and say, hey, you know what? I actually believe this. I receive it. And, you know, I come, man, listen, I come a long way. I used to be, uh, uh, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, man. I used to be a big drug dealer. I was a wayward guy. And I didn't know anything about God. You know, I had relatives that were uh, in church. I got an auntie in particular, and we call her Aunt Jean, Aunt Jean, and she would always talk about Jesus Christ. That's all she ever did. And so we would never want to go over a house or anything. But when we got when we got in trouble, we would call Aunt Jean because she she was going to pray for us, you know. And it, it felt good that, that we had someone who can cover us or speak on our behalf, you know. So I, I, I kind of grew up like that. Never actually going to church. But, you know, I got myself in a lot of trouble. And every time I got in trouble, I called my Aunt Jean. She would pray for me. And, uh, 
Long story short, I left Detroit, Michigan. I went, I moved to Flint, Michigan to try to get away from a lot of the trouble I was in, involved in, which was not a, even a, a, a great decision. But I found the Lord there uh, in Flint, Michigan. And I, I started serving God for about three. Excuse me? Oh, that was a TV in the background. That <laughs> okay. Clicked on. I, I started serving God for about three years. And I, while I was in church, while this my pastor, he called me in front of the whole congregation because, you know, the way I was in the street, in the world, I flipped it for Christ. I was bringing people to church. I wouldn't even come to church unless I brought people to church. I was just a natural leader, you know. I would lead a Bible study and I learned, I would personally learn 10 scriptures per week just for my own, you know, sake, just for my spiritual growth. And I would try to encourage everybody. If you're giving your soul to this God, you need to know who this God is. <laughs> but one day I was in a church and a pastor called me in front of the whole entire congregation. And he said, Pittman, he said, come here. He said, if you leave and go back into the other lifestyle and do what you did. He said, there's two bullets for you. Go sit back down. And I thought to myself, <clears throat> what kind of prophecy is that? But you know what? Six months later, you know, some devastating things happened in my life. And I found myself on my way back to Detroit with a, a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, and we were in the car and these guys were drug dealers. I was in the car. We left Flint. We were going to Detroit. When we got to Detroit, the young guy in the back seat shot us in the back of the head. Shot my partner three times. He died. The bullet hit me under my left ear, exited under my right ear. The other bullet hit me in my back. It came out and jumped over my spine and went back in my back. When the bullet hit me, the scripture came to me and said, Behold, I come quickly. And I said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I tried to repent. Another scripture came and said, what profit a man to gain this world and lose his soul? My breath sucked out of me like a suction. It just, man. And while I was sitting in that car, I was sitting up, but my body was slumped over. I was literally out of my body. And, and, and the young man who shot me, he opened the door, passing the side. He lifted my body up. He shot us. He robbed us. Soon as he left, I heard another scripture, Jeremiah chapter three, it came to me and said, I'm married to the backslider. My breath came back in my body. I was breathing again, but I couldn't move. I was paralyzed from here down. They couldn't move nothing at all. And so I was, as I was in that car, I, I knew I was going to die. My head was ringing. I felt nothing. It was a lot of rap music in the car playing at the time. And the car was in part still, still running. And, and and I was in that car paralyzed and I'm thinking, God, I'm like, God, I thank you for putting breath back in my body. And then, you know, I thought I was going to die right there because my friend, his brains were blew out and his head was on a stern one and the horn was still blowing while I was in the car praying. And then I thought, I said, well, if you're mighty enough to put breath back in my body, you can heal me and get me out of this. If you do, man, I, I preach your gospel and I share this testimony wherever I go. I went to the hospital, paralyzed on a stretcher, came out walking the very next day, December 27th, 1995, in Detroit, Michigan. 
And so what I did, I actually repented. I left the state of Michigan and I moved to Tennessee. I got away from everything and everybody. Uh, I didn't want to be influenced any other way, you know, and start serving Jesus, man. And, you know, God has been a blessing to me. And so I've been a blessing to other people by letting them know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the light. So, you know, I have personal experience and a personal relationship uh, with, the, with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. And so when I share it, I share it with conviction, with truth, um, with knowing that his grace and his mercy, because God didn't have to allow me to live, you know, but he did. <laughs> and so every day I wake up in the morning, you know, I thank God for life, health and strength. And I thank him that I can breathe his air because there was a time where I couldn't do that for a moment in time, you know. And so I appreciate even the little things. I don't take anything for granted. And when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not my words. And I thought that since I took time to put his word in me, perhaps he spared my life, you know. So, you know, I just have so many great testimonies to tell about Jesus, man. But I just wanted to share that with you, Nate. Well, that is, yeah, that is quite the story. I'm glad you, uh, glad you made it out the other side. Are you speaking, Lou? Did you hear any of that? Did you like to respond? Yeah, to I was good. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. Um, no, I'm not technically speaking. Um, I have like seven minutes, but hello to everyone. God bless. And great testimony. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, good to problem. see you. Lou. Chime in when you can. No problem. I promised God that I would share it. So he he was fa he's faithful. You know, I think I, I, I love hearing testimonies because it's like, um, it's definitely encouraging. It's really nice to see how God is working in different people's lives. And uh, a lot of times it's, 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 it's very similar. Sometimes it's different, but you definitely see God in it. You know what I mean? It's awesome. Well, let's see. Well, Quinn, what's your favorite topic to talk about? Maybe besides what you just talked about. Uh, just giving a, uh, just giving God the praise. You know, there. Uh, he said, "In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." I'm a, I love, I love thanking God in the good and the bad in the ups and the downs, when things are extremely hard, I learn to just thank God. That's one of the things I talk about all the time, just giving God the glory and praising him because everything that we go through is to me is simply a test, you know, like just being on clubhouse for me is a test. I, I, go, on a, I go into different rooms and I hear a lot of arguments. I hear a lot of this, a lot of that, a lot of people getting upset. But you know what I do? I start thanking God. I just praise God because it's training ground for me, you know, so that I can know how to handle myself in every situation. And I think that everyone who comes on the clubhouse ought to uh, pull the good. We say eat the meat and leave the bones. 
my favorite thing to talk about is just giving God the praise in everything because uh, there's some good in everything. But I try to see God in everything, even in a bad situation, because I'm looking at it as a test. OK, it's something that I can learn from. You know, if someone curses me out, then I can, you know, OK, where's my spiritual growth? Have I uh, grown to a level of maturity to where I can just still thank God anyway? You know what? Thank God. It was only a test and I have matured. I don't have to cuss back, you know? So I'm just learning how to give God the praise and thank God. Amen. Um, we were definitely created for God's glory, to glorify him. So you're, 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 you're saying that brings up a question. Like we, we, we definitely should be... Um, a living testimony to God and everything. And, you know, how, how, how do you, are you married? Yes. Yes. I'm married. You have kids? Yep. How, how do you do? I have a, hey, I have six children all together. <laughs> that. Before I came to Christ, I had three children I so, so I got a question for you and Nate, I guess. How, how do you go about um, do, glorifying God in the home? Like, how do you present God in the home? How, what, what are your thoughts on that? Does that make sense to you? Does this question make sense? Like, um, Peter, I mean, who was it? Somebody said in the Bible, I'm, I don't want to quote who it was. They said, it's because of you, and they were talking to the Pharisees. Um, that they blaspheme God. They're actually acting not godly. And, you know, he's pointing the finger and saying, you know, it's because of you, the way you guys are, that they blaspheme God. So how do how do we as Christians in the home glorify God? Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, at least the part about, you know, they, they blaspheme Jesus because of other people. I, I get that. That makes me think of, uh, was it, was it Peter? Uh, Someone, I think it's Peter, said basically, if like talking about people behaving badly and says, look, if you're going to be persecuted, if you're going to get in trouble, make sure it's for being righteous. Like make sure it's because of Jesus that people are unjustly persecuting you, um, you know, because if you if you basically get thrown in jail for stealing something, well, you deserve that. Like you're not being persecuted for being, you know, a Christian. You're being persecuted because you you did something wrong and it's actually just. So that makes me think of that. Um, so, I mean, you, you, I mean, you try to practice what you preach and, you know, we all lose it. Like I lose it daily at summer break. So, you know, I, uh, I, that whole be angry, but do not sin. Um, that's like imprinted in my brain, uh, for like the rest of summer, like every, every single day. But, you know, I, I mess up. And when I do, <laughs> you know, I try, I try to be like, look, that was not good. That was bad. You know, daddy got a little angry. Daddy did this, or, you know, um, I don't know what, whatever the case may be. If I, if I do something that like, I, I think is unchristian. You know, I try to like explain what it is, what the Bible says, where daddy messed up. Or, you know, if there's another example of someone like, you know, will, um, uh, you know, see someone like at, at the out and about. And if there's like a bunch of like teenagers, like, you know, walking by or like swearing or something like that, I like, see, blah, blah, blah. And I'll try to like, you know, relate it to the Bible. So, I mean, I, I, I think that's that's my answer as long as it is like practice what we preach and, you know, explain as best we can what the Bible says and how we try to live by it. Amen. Me too. Um, it's pretty similar for me too. Just and the reason I asked is because what you said, like at home, like they see everything. 
they're watching you. They know you're, you know, it's different at home. You can't hide. Um, right. Yeah. But... right, right. Yeah. I was in a dead spot. I couldn't, I had a red bar on my thing. But yeah, you, you glorify God in the house by being genuine, by being real, you know, by being truthful and by being yourself, you know, uh, letting your children know about life, about uh, just like Nate said, you know, uh, even your flaws, uh, you teach them, you lead by example in the house. If, if I get overheated or whatever, then I'm like, oh, you know what? I was wrong for doing that and I shouldn't have blew my top or whatever. Just being real, not trying to be, you know, super over the top, but just being real and genuine and letting your children know, look, you're going to make some, there's going to be some mistakes that you're going to make in your life, but we need to, we can overcome all things, you know. Uh, Sometimes we have disagreements about things, you know, and then the children see how my wife and myself, how we settle things, you know, and then how we go back. We may disagree on some things, then we go back and make up and say, you know what? It was it was all good. It was a learning experience <clears throat> because everything is not perfect. A lot of people think that, well, if you're a Christian, you ought to live this way, live that way. No, just be genuine, be yourself, because no one is like you. But God is looking at our hearts. You know, that's what I love about God. I love it that he uh, is looking at why do we do what we do? He looks at our motives. You know, he's looking at our intentions. What makes you tick? You know, if you're really genuine, has your life really changed? You know, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You're new. You don't do the things you used to do. And, you know, I tell my children, you know, I don't use foul language. They've never heard me use foul language. They, it would be foreign to them to hear me use foul language because I don't practice it, you know. And so I genuinely just be yourself. Be genuine. If there's a change in your life, let that let it be known that there's a change. So the people that knew me of old, they know, wow, there's a, a change in your life. Uh, and so I let my children see that when they hear uh, people using foul language and all that, they're like, oh, now, you know, they're in school. And I, I talk to my children and I'm as real with them as I can be. And so I want and my children, they'll come to me and share anything with me because I'm open with them. Hey, what's going on today? You know, well, I share my day with them Man, I went through this and this thing happened. But you know what? I started praying and I got over it. There was some road rage that went on today. And instead of me getting upset, you know, at the guy that was putting a finger up at me, because, you know, I, I uh, own operator, I drive these 18 wheelers. And there's a lot of challenges every single day that I have to overcome. But just being genuine, that's what I would say be genuine with your uh, family. <clears throat> And I know, uh, I know Chris uh, wasn't on there for a minute. Uh, he can't talk because I, I told him he should talk. But, um, yeah, he says can't talk. Um, but, yeah, it goes with this conversation. Like, he's taking his family on a vacation. And they're going to the Ark Encounter. Um, so, I mean, I guess that's one, one more thing. I mean, that's something some Christian dad is doing with his family. 
uh, you know, to take his, yeah, the Ken Ham one, wherever it is, is it, is it Kentucky or no, um, wherever it is, that's where they're going. Um, Tennessee, I, I don't know. Anyways. Uh, yeah. So they're going to the Ark Encounter. So, I mean, you know, I guess teaching kids about, you know, what, what we believe, what the Bible says. Um, Hey, Mr. Monk, feel free to jump up if you'd like to join the conversation too. Hello, ID. So, are you uh, are you like head pastor at church? Or you do um, you like preach every every single week? Every single week. Every single week, I do uh, Bible studies on Tuesday nights. But and other than that, I'm usually you know just working. You yeah, said you drive a truck. Yeah. Um, is uh, eighteen wheelers? Yeah. How do you like doing that? Do you go all over, all over the country, or do you stay by no, uh, no, a region? No, I come home. I'm home every day. Yeah, I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. My wife would not tolerate that. <laughs> well, so did you have to do across the country for a while to like get seniority or get experience and to get the job you have now? Where you don't have to do that? Well, that was about, yeah, about, let's see, 20 years ago. I did it uh, for a time. Not that long. Just, okay. you know, just a short while. And came back and started doing other things. Yeah, I, I used to be a car salesman when I lived in Texas. Man, I sold so many cars, it's crazy. <laughs> and so by doing that, when I, when I learned how to sell cars, it was something that I used actually in soul winning. Yeah, the, the, you know what? I used to sell cars and, 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 and the way I learned it. I looked at every nationality of people that came in. You have people from India. Everyone bought cars different. India, uh, uh, wherever, whatever country you're coming from. And I noticed uh, the way people did things and plus their religion. Like people from India would come and say, listen, today is a good day to buy because their religion says so. <laughs> they did not believe in debt. So I know I noticed the uh, the way people bought and the way people did because of the way they believed. They would come in and they would have like ten or fifteen people with them, and all day long you see people from India buying cars because this is what they do. I'm telling you, and when they come in there, all of them have excellent credit. But guess what? They would rather not finance. They would rather pay cash. Why? Because they understand that they can get it at a cheaper a better discount but they got the credit to get it but they say no we our religion is against debt <laughs> so the guy told me i was like wow hey ours too and i have other <laughs> you say what i said ours too yeah 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 <laughs> yeah i know it see but, but look this is the difference we know that ours is but we don't exercise that yeah yeah that is true <laughs> yeah knowing and doing this... knowing and doing your right. different things Right, but I see people exercising when we ought to be exercising. And then I see yeah. other people come in with a different mentality. I see all all types of people coming in. But one of the things I did, I learned how to treat 
everybody the exact same way. I couldn't look at you just because you didn't look like you could purchase a vehicle and judge you and say, oh, no, I'm not going to get them because they're not going to buy a car. Or then if you're coming in there looking nice like a millionaire driving up in this, oh, I'm going to you because I know he's going to buy a car. But it's quite the opposite. There was a guy that came in there. Look, he was a farmer. Had a, a literal farmer jacket suit on and, you know, with the overalls and drilled up in a dirty truck. And nobody wanted to approach that guy, man. He was dusty and dirty. I treated everybody the exact same way because I understood that anyone who comes on that lot is purchasing a vehicle. I don't care if it's the, the employees that work there. I'm trying to sell you a car. <laughs> so I went up to the man and said, hey, my name is Quentin Pittman. Welcome to Crest Honda. And you are the first thing. You have to learn how to engage people, get their name, get their information, let them know what you're about. Hey, come to me. I'll show you prices, payments, numbers. Hey, and you'll be out of here quick, fast, and in a hurry. Let's go. Follow me. And then they'll follow me because I asked them to follow me. And I asked what their name is, told them who I was, and he came. And I said, uh, what can I do for you today? And he said, well, I'm going to buy that truck right there that's on the showroom floor, right? And I said, okay. It has all the bells and whistles on it. It was like a $50,000 vehicle. He said, yeah, I want to get that vehicle. And I want to get that and buy it for my daughter. I said, okay. I said, well, you see the price here? He said, yeah, I want to pay that price. Now, one of the things you don't do is pay MSRP when you go <laughs> yeah. purchase an event. You don't, you, don't, you don't get MSRP. That's crazy. But he said, no, I want it. I looked it up, and that's the one I want right there. I said, okay, wait a minute. He said, I want to buy it now. I'm like, you have to test drive. He said, no, I just want it. I said, no, I can't sell it to you unless you test drive. So we opened the showroom door. Got in the vehicle, we drove it around the corner. He drove, he sat there, I drove. He said, What's the purpose of that? I said, just in case something wrong with this vehicle. And so he, hey, this guy went to the look, he went to his truck, that old truck, and came out with a bag of money. This dude had about a hundred thousand dollars on him. Man, I was like, Oh, I said, wait a minute, sir. You got to go to the bank and get a cashier's check. Dude, you can't come in here with that. He said, I got more in it in, 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 in the truck. I was like, wow, this guy went out there. He bought it for just what he said, and he left. Everybody came around me looking like, wow. I said, see, that's why you have to treat everybody the same way. You can't look at people by the way they dress or the way they sound or what religion that they are. Treat everybody the same way, and, and then you'll see the results, you know, we, because what we do, we pick and choose. I didn't pick and choose. I treated everybody the same way, man. And so, uh, like I told you, when uh, the other people come in and say, hey, uh, I will tell you about the Patels, the Indians. They'll come in there and they'll say, listen, we want to buy that 50000 the same car that I sold. He said, well, buy that car. We're going to buy it for $35,000 cash. And the thing is, we want three of them. And if you don't sell it to us, we're going to get it from your competitor. Guess what's going to happen? We are going to sell them the vehicles because they're going to go because they did their research. They're not going to buy the MSRP. See, I learned the mindset of people everywhere, and I know what they believe. Uh, people from Asia, they're the world's greatest negotiators. They'll negotiate apples, man. I mean, I'm serious. I've learned 
And so now, since I've learned certain things about people, I know how to approach people. When I go to a, like a mall and I see a kiosk and I see people of different persuasions, I know how to purchase from them because I know uh, their life. I know what they do. And this is their way of life. So I'll go in there and I'll negotiate. I'll never do anything face value. I just negotiate. And they love it. And you work them now, and that's the way they do business. So it's almost the same way that you have to do uh, when you're talking. People want to engage with you. It's not that they're really rejecting you. They want to engage, but their way of life and the way they came up is different than yours. That's why Paul was so effective, because he learned so much from so many people and spoke different languages. He knew how to engage with them. And then, therefore, he knew how to win them, you know? I don't know, yeah. even know why I brought all that up and went around the corner. <laughs> well, yeah, just, I mean, know your audience, right? Know your, know, I mean, I guess for you, know your customer. Um, you know, to some, Paul reasoned uh, for, like, years. And others, you know, he says, I just pe- preach Christ and him crucified so the power of the cross doesn't lose its, you know, so the uh, cross of Christ doesn't lose its power. So, uh I mean, he was, you know, what, all things to all people. I mean, kind of like when in Rome, one of those things. So right, right. know your audience. Right. And so one of the things I did, I used to get all information. Anyone who came in to buy, purchase a vehicle, I got all the information, name, phone number. I learned, watch this. I learned when their birthday was. When is your anniversary? When was your child born? All of this. Why? Because I'm a winner. And then I want to make you a part of my family, Right. Even if you don't purchase a vehicle, you're going to become a part of my family. Why? Because I'm going to call you. I remember your anniversary. I remember your birthday. Remember the day you got married. Remember where your children are. See, I do that. I'm going to send you cards, send you letters, send you flowers, send you all that. So when you do think of purchasing a vehicle, guess who you're going to purchase one from? You're going to get it from me. And so that's the way we have to do people in life. When we evangelize them, we meet people. I get all of their information. Same thing. When is your birthday? When is your anniversary? Who, you know, where do you go? What, all this. I want it. Now, I have something to talk about to them when I talk to them. I'm sharing love with them, and they become a part of my family. Same way I do with the church. Then they become a part of the church. Why? Because they know I love them. I care about them. I'm talking to them. I'm sending them letters. I talk to them. I, I pray for them if they want it, you know. Even if they, if they were not believers, if something comes up in their life, guess who they going to call that's how you win. Even winning souls is wise. And so now I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to believe, even if they don't believe me, they're going to believe what I'm telling them. And I'm going to give them the truth. Why? Because I'm an example of that. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I'll pray for you. If I tell you I'm going to do this, I'll do that. If I share my testimony about what Jesus Christ did to me, why? It's all about winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ, man. So you have to learn people, have to get to know people, have to open up to people and not be afraid to talk. So if you are going to, then share it. People ask me, they say, hey, they say, what's up today? I say, Jesus Christ. That's an icebreaker. Oh, Jesus. And so then we'll open up and we'll start talking about that, you know. So I'll bring it full circle and bring it back around to Jesus some way, shape, form, or fashion. And I'm talking a whole lot about the land is playing. 
I mean, that's good. No one else wants to talk. So <laughs> Chris just asked what a good, uh, who a good Pentecostal preacher is uh, to listen to while I drive. So I may as well just say you. I don't know if you're Pentecostal or not. but <laughs> no, no, my background was Church of God in Christ. I was Pentecostal when I came in. But, you know, I'm, I'm like non-denomination. Um, I really don't get caught up in the, um, into a lot. Like I said, when I come on Clubhouse, I'm here learning. I'm sitting back. I'm learning, listening new things, you know, new ways of winning. That's that's what I'm about, man. I'm about winning. Whatever, all the tools, all the information I can get and gather, I put that together. And if it works, hey, okay, I can see this. Like I said, when I was learning about the people when I was selling vehicles, I'm learning about different religions so that I can know how to address and engage what to say, what not to say, how to have tact. You know, that's mainly what I'm on here for, really. I'm not like I'm really not an apologist, but I'm learning all things because I've learned that some of the ways that I was about in the uh, the organization I was in was wrong, you know. And so then I've learned how to adjust and how to change up this and not talk that way. Well, I was doing this and saying the wrong thing to people that you can't be saved unless you do this and do this and do that. And plus, you got to do this. See, I was doing things wrong. Yeah, it's all a learning process. Day by day, I'm learning. I mean, I guess we all should be, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We should be learning daily. Uh, I, I often say, listen, a lot of people can preach, teach, exegete, but you actually got to walk this thing out. You actually have to exercise it, you know, exercise your faith. Uh evangelism. I, you know, I did a lot of evangelism, leading people to the Lord Jesus Christ, literally going into neighborhoods uh, that no one would want to go into. And the reason I did that is because when I was sharing my testimony with you, the lifestyle that I used to live, I used to lead people to Satan, uh, pretty much to their death with the drugs that I was selling. So I flipped it around and I intentionally go to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We went into one neighborhood and we were, uh, this team, it's a group at the church that we have called the SWAT team, S-W-A-T, Saints Witnessing Around Town. So we would intentionally go out to talk to people about Jesus Christ, but we wouldn't just jump out there willy-nilly. We'll have a group of people at the church specifically praying for Jesus Christ to touch the hearts of the people that we're going to approach. And so the people who can pray, we let them pray. And they don't stop praying until we come back. And we have a, another group of people who like taking information. And so we have that, those people take the information, names, number, uh, women with us who can hold babies. We were always prepared for whatever we came into, whatever situation we found ourselves going into, we would prepare ourselves. And so one day we went to uh, uh, a housing community and we saw a group of children. We were talking to them about Jesus. And it was a woman who looked, a big woman looked out the window and she said, she said, hey, leave those children alone. And we said, oh, we're just talking to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, I said, leave them alone. And then you know what? She ran out of the house. I had about, it was about four of us. I was standing there and I had two 
it was three women with me. Uh, and the, this woman came out the house real quick and she had something behind her back. And she ran up and I said, hey, everybody get behind me. Y'all start praying. I, we didn't know if she had a gun, a knife, whatever it was that she had. But I, she said, didn't I tell y'all to leave my children alone? And I said, listen, this is the reason we came. We came to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Today is your day. And your life is going to be transformed. It's going to be changed. It wasn't about the children. It's actually about you. And you know what? She grabbed me and fell on me and started bawling, started crying. She had behind her back a spoon. <laughs> she had a spoon in her hand. You know what? This, and, and so this is why God has not given us the spirit of fear. We didn't run. Those women were right there praying. And I said, y'all get behind me. If I was going to die today, then let it be me. Since I'm the ringleader and if something bad was going to happen, let me go out in the name of Jesus Christ, for real. I exercise it for real. And that lady gave her heart to the Lord Jesus. She was crying. She said, y'all are real. She said, nobody has ever done this, ever. I was going through so much. I needed God. And I see God in y'all. She said, y'all keep doing this. And she was just bawling and crying. And we led her in prayer. Everybody got in the circle. We prayed, held hands and we prayed. We seen drug dealers walk past, take their head off. They stood there. I mean, because they understood this had never been done in these neighborhoods. It was crazy, man. But those are some of the things, you know, that I've been through. Well, fun experiences. You've been in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I talk to people about Jesus Christ uh, for real all of the time, you know. Any opportunity that I can get. Some, some, some receive, some reject. Yeah, it's just our job to tell, right? Like we're not gonna we're not gonna convince anyone of anything. It's gonna be uh it's gonna be God. That's it. It's got to be God. It has to be God, you know. I was talking to a Muslim and he told and this is why it's so important to to understand the word of God. And God said, he said, I was on a bus. That's when I got and turned my life to Christ. And I was on a bus going to college. I enrolled into a, it was a community college. And the guy, it was a couple of Muslims. They were together. And they saw me reading a book. It was a book I was reading a long time. It was a book of Smith Wigglesworth or something. He was a Pentecostal. I don't know if you heard of him, but it was something I was reading about healing. He was like, they were like, what is that? And they said, are you are you about Jesus Christ? I said, yes, sir. And they said, well, you know that the Bible says that if I slap you on the face, you got to turn the other cheek and let me hit the other side. Right? <laughs> well, we can't all be perfect Christians. <laughs> I said, I said, if you, right. I said, if you slap me, my reflexes might knock you out <laughs> because, you know, I said, uh, yeah, I said, that's not what Jesus was talking about when he said that. And then I, I took him to a scripture uh, in John 18 to where, I think it was John 18, to where when they arrested Jesus, they took him in and uh, they asked Jesus, they said, listen, did you do this? And he said, ask them, ask them. they were there. And the high priest servant slapped Jesus in the face. And then Jesus said, he didn't turn on the cheek. He said, why smite us thou me? 
<laughs> I said, you see that? He didn't tell another cheat. He said, I told the truth. He said, why smitest thou me? Then I showed him the apostle Paul when they arrested him. And they took Paul into custody. And he was speaking. And the high priest said, smite him in the mouth. And Paul in the face. Paul didn't turn the other cheek that way. Paul said, you whited walls. He said, why smitest thou me? You know, he said, God smite you. And so I was trying to tell them in a literal sense, he wasn't saying to turn the other cheek that way. I told him, I said, like, if you're talking about my parents, I'm just not going to talk about yours. You know, I'm just going to go a different direction. Choose not to do it. If you're cursing me, I'm not going to use foul language towards you. To me, that's turning the other cheek, you know. If, if your left hand offend you, cut it off. You know, your eye, pluck it out. He wasn't literally talking. To so, oh yeah, right. And I, I think a lot of times, yeah, they, they have that. They're like, exactly right. Like they'll they'll think uh, exactly what you said, right? So whether they really believe that or whether they're just trying to, I don't know, ruffle the Christians' feathers. It's like, look, if we were all like assuming you're right, you know, turn the other cheek, no matter what, blah blah blah. Uh, assuming you're completely right, which they're not, I agree with you. But assuming they were right. Uh, you're just, we're just supposed to turn the other cheek and let you slap us all day. Um, let's not forget, uh, we're not Jesus. So he's perfect. We may not be. So while we may uh, want to let you just beat us bloody, um, you know, remember, Peter cut off a guy's ear. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we uh, we may have to have to repent and, uh, you know, ask forgiveness if what they say is true. So but no, I, I totally agree with you. Like, you know, someone says that, you know, turn the other cheek. Um, if someone I mean, you know, if someone slaps me once, I may turn the other cheek. If someone keeps doing it, I think there's a strong case for uh, self-defense in the Bible. So, um, yeah. Hey, Semper, you said you had a question. Good morning, Joe. What's up, Semper? Good morning. Yeah, yeah good Good morning. I, I'm, I'm a little bit flustered about other people that I'm talking to. So I, I, I'm asking you out, out of sincerity, right? In Ezekiel 20, chapter 20, verse 25, right? Did God give commands that were not good? Did God give commands that were what? Not good. Ezekiel 20, verse 25. 20, 25. Well, we have to look and see who God is. Is God good? <clears throat> let's see ezekiel 20 25 uh moreover i gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life um so that's just the verse i mean let's get some context right um, i, I want to say before i even get context before i read any more like you know the thing that's you know first in my mind is can, uh, i don't even know what the context of this I'm, i haven't looked that up yet but i'm just thinking like this this is like the entire book of galatians galatians 4 galatians 5 how if this is talking about the law of moses if that's if that's the context of this then uh paul specifically has like two books in the in the bible dedicated to the law and he calls it the law of sin and death and how it does not have the power right. to save it only has the power right. to condemn uh, because no one can keep these laws and he contrasts that with the law of the spirit so I don't even know if that pertains to what we're reading right now, but well, yeah, go ahead, well, uh, Quentin, well, if you'd like to talk. The, uh, the, the deeper question I'd be asking here is, if God only gives good commands, why is God saying right here in Ezekiel that he gave bad commands, right? I don't know. I think that God's 
bad or good is good however you look at it because it's going to work out for our good regardless, you know, because God is sovereign. God himself is good. So whatever God does, it's going to turn out to be good. No, we may not no. God right here says what he commanded wasn't good. Yeah, but good in what way? But, but it's, everything it's there, the rest of the there, verse, there, right? There, there is a good reason why he did that and said that. Okay. I, like I, I, I understand I understand the way to explain this, right? But I like I, I don't hold to like a divine command theory. But if you hold to a divine command theory where everything God says is good, this verse is a problem because God himself says that he commanded things that weren't good, right? Right. Well, he made things. That, uh, who made Satan? No, no. In this passage, it isn't saying Satan said something that wasn't good. It's not saying somebody else said something wasn't good. It's saying God gave God gave commands that weren't good. This is this is the this that like there's. There's no way out of this, right? Well, yeah, well this is well, this on, is wait, God on, saying hang, hang on, I wait, gave commands on, that on, I consider. Sipper, I don't want to have to mute you, but I'm I'm literally trying to give you answers, and you're over talking. Okay. This. I mean, okay. So, well, first of all, the way out of it is God can do whatever God wants. So you know, it's like King James version only says, you know, in Isaiah, I create. Uh, uh, it says He creates evil. It means calamity, but I mean, right. you know, you would not say calamity is necessarily a good thing. But God creates it. So, I mean, the way out of this is God could do whatever God wants to do. Um, but then if, if I'm looking at different translations and, you know, they read slightly different, like some, the NIV says, uh, you know, God, uh, God gave them other statutes that were not good and laws which they could not have life. The revised standard talks about um, he uh, or other another translation somewhere said he allowed them to follow laws and statutes. But just assuming worst case scenario, God straight up gave them this. Uh, it looks like without reading because because I mean, I, I read more of the context. Uh, which is, you know, some verses surrounding it. But I mean, we're in verse 25. We really need to go back at least to verse one sure. and read this whole and read sure. this whole chapter. But right. I want to say in the larger context, this is talking about Israel's rebellion and disobedience. So <clears throat> if we're saying, you know, this would be like you letting your kid uh, touch a hot stove. It's like, you know, you're allowing or you could say you're giving them per permission by not stopping okay. them. You're, you're giving them a statute that, you know, you've told them what to do a thousand times. You're like, don't touch the hot stove. You'll get burned. Bad things will happen. Don't yeah. Do this. Don't could do you, this. Could you like, show hey, could you show me the subjunctives there along the way in this prophetic um, emissary? Well, yeah, I'll give you a one liner. Task. Yeah, if I can, if I can finish. Yeah, my, where are the subjunctives? One moment. I am determined to, to finish the hot stove story. Everyone knows the kid's going to get burned. I'm going to say it anyway. No, I'm, so, I'm saying in Ezekiel, in the actual text, not not your analogy. All right. So I don't know why this is happening, but just hang out down there since you keep interrupting me. I know you want me to get to the text. The text is going to be a one-liner. For the analogy, I, I, the kid wants to touch the hot stove. 
you're, you're God in this analogy. You're the parent. You tell the kid, don't do it. They keep doing it. The kid's Israel. Finally, you're like, you know what? Go ahead. Touch that hot stove. Watch what happens. You've just given them a statute. You've, let, you've allowed them an ordinance to follow. They touch it. They get burned. So just like the answer you wanted in Ezekiel, I think it's important I made that analogy to conclusion. So this is God allowing the Israel's disobedience. He's allowing them to do these things that are not beneficial for them. Uh, so through the, and this is why you can't, I don't even think you can just go back to the beginning of chapter 20. You're, I mean, you basically need to read the whole test, Old Testament to see the origin of the Israelites and their idolatry, their idol worshiper. They just got the Ten Commandments from Moses. He comes down, they're like worshiping a golden cow. So Israel's constant rebellion and hard-heartedness, going away from God, coming back to God, going away from God. So by the time we get to Ezekiel 20, it seems, without reading the entire Old Testament, we know Israel was wildly disobedient a whole lot of times. Like, they would repent, they would fall away. They would repent, they'd fall away. So so that's that's the thing you're asking for. Um, hang on, let me just read something else. I lost my spot. But yeah, so... Uh, I actually don't even know what subjunctive means. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, also, also, you have to consider that uh, in Isaiah 53, where it says, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Was that good that God did that to his son? You know, well, I mean, because if we say that God is good, and I heard some people say, I heard some people cuss God up. And say he was horrible for giving up his son. That was a bad thing. Do we say that was a bad thing? Was God bad for giving his son to die for us? Because, I mean, if you're going to look at it in that way, we have to look at that. And as you said, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do. And there was good in the reason he did it. I said, everything that he does, there's a good motive behind it. So whatever he says, the motive has to be good. Zimper, if you'd like to come on back up and talk, because that's helpful, but um, go ahead. I mean, I think we've given all the answers we can, but don't over talk, bro. But I mean, if you're looking for like a mood, the Israelites were disobedient. So you could say he gave them laws and ordinances to follow um, akin to hardening Pharaoh's heart. So in the mood, if we're going to say that, is this is what you get. Um, it's a form of punishment. It's a form of discipline. So don't know if that's the, the type or tone you're, you're looking for. But yeah, that's, that's my answer. Well, I mean, I see a chat and I did send another invite ticket if you want. But you just... You just repeat it again. God said he commanded a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. No one's disagreeing. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. Like, yes, you could say God gave them bad ordinances to follow or not good ordinances to follow. So. Right. You said it well, though. Like, you know, uh, it was like a discipline thing. Like when he when he hardened Pharaoh's heart, God, God did that. He, he did it on purpose. So was that a good thing or a bad thing? Because it would be so, why did God do that? Uh, you're chopping, uh, Quentin, you're, Quentin, you're chopping up a little bit. Uh, we didn't hear everything you're saying. You're cutting out a little bit. 
and uh, welcome, Michael. Hey, I think Clubhouse isn't letting uh, Simper come back. Can I make you a mod real fast and you can uh, send him an invite, the Simper down there? Um, but I mean, we're also reading into it, right? So if you just take it, the text as it lies, let's go all the way back to the Bible, back to Ezekiel 20, 25. Moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good. Does that mean they were automatically bad? I mean, I mean, you could say like, you know, what is the opposite of good? Well, that would be bad. But I mean, if something is just not good, does it automatically mean the opposite? I mean, could it yeah. mean like neutral? Do, do, mean you neutral? Realize, do you realize the prophets spoke for what God approves and doesn't approve of? They were the shaliach, right? The spokespersons for God, like Moses was. Are, are you aware of that? Yes. Are you aware of the entire book of Jeremiah? How like yeah, he's condemning yeah, them because I'm, I'm, he's I'm like, perfectly aware like, of that. Your prophets yeah. are lying. Your prophets are saying bad that's, things. That's right. Their own mouths. That's right. That's right. So then when the prophet says, this is what God says, they are the spokesperson for God. That's irrelevant. That's what, that's what, that's what's going on here in Ezekiel 20, verse 25 through 26. Yeah, but how is that relevant? Like, we're not disputing what be, the prophet be, says. Because, because there's, they are spokespersons of representatives, literally um, emissaries. But what does that representatives have to do with anything? of God Himself as spokespersons? No, look, look. The the reason why I I bring this up, right, is is because these these societies weren't actually written. Look, they weren't they weren't governed by written laws, right? They were governed by oral laws, customary laws. These were these were shame and honor shame and honor cultures. Right. They, did, they, they didn't open up Torah and figure out what they needed to do. Right. The prophets enforced the covenants and the covenants were um, were something that you need. You really need to examine. So when Ezekiel is bringing up the, the covenant and he's saying. I gave them laws that they could not live by. He's saying that he's fulfilling his end of the promise when they let him down. He gave them covenants uh, that they could not, or he gave them commands that they could not live by. That is his fulfillment of the covenant promise to Abraham, by the way. We, we get the same thing in First, First, uh, First Chronicles 16, 15. All the way back to Abraham. These these are the this is the cursing part of all covenants. That's how covenants work in the ancient Near East. Are are you aware of that? I'm I'm aware of that. I'm honestly so lost with what your point is, though. So I don't know what right. you're trying to say. We're dispute. Hang on. It, I don't it's know if you're uh, okay. Oh, I don't know if you're trying to say we're disputing what the prophet says. And like when he says he, God gave them laws that were not good to follow, you're saying. That we're saying the prophet it, that should be discounted, which we're not saying that. I'm just saying to say that not good automatically means bad would be a stretch. So we're not disputing what the prophet says. I'm aware of the covenants. I'm aware of the discipline and the disobedience of the Israelites. And it sounds like you're on kind of the same page. So I'm honestly lost as to what point you're trying to make. No. But also, if we're talking about no, Ezekiel, I... Ezekiel was written in the 6th century. Hang on. Ezekiel was written like around the 6th century BCE, and the Levitical law was first starting to be written down in like 13 to 14 uh, BCE. So by the time we're talking about Ezekiel, 
they did not have oral tradition. It, it was put on paper by then or put on animal hides by then. So they had oral tradition for a long, long time. But by the time we Ezekiel rose around, like they've had written laws for hundreds of years. Okay. Are you aware of that? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm aware that they used, that they wrote down laws, but I'm also aware that in that span, right, nobody ever cited written laws to make a juridical decision in any court case. Are, are you aware of that? Yes. Okay, let's do this one more time. <laughs> the door. Okay, so what is your, your original question was Ezekiel 20, 25, when it says right. God gave laws. Yeah, God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave not good this? commands. He gave non-good commands. That's my, that's what I'm, that's what I'm, that's what I'm telling you, right? Statutes, yeah. Okay, yeah. so no, what is No, it point? doesn't say statutes. It, it, it's, it's more than Devar. It's more than Mitzarim, right, in the Hebrew. What, what does it say in the Hebrew? It says, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules. So, like, that's ordinances, that's laws. It's, right. They're also not. Right. Yeah. No, no, it, it's not. It's, it's not Mitzarim, right? What What is the Hebrew there? Let me find it. Wait, before I do this, because I feel like I'm just wasting my breath. Like, what, let, let's just say I agree with everything you're saying. Like, okay. up until now, I agree with 100% right. of what you're saying. So, now yeah. tell me, what actually yeah. are you saying? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, God, God gave bad commands. Do you agree with that? That's what the text says. Do you agree no, with that? Text says, the, te the text does not say bad. The text says uh, not good. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is what? It could be neutral. It doesn't no, automatically it, make it bad. Could, it could be neutral. <laughs> <laughs> hang on i don't want you to stroke out or something just get get your laughing all right. all the way all right wait, wait, all right do you disagree wait hang on do, 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 do covenants have cursings and blessings is there clearly we're all being cursed right now um okay so i mean there, there's nowhere else to go with that like if someone says not good uh michael okay uh rab scuttle um atheist attendees so yes. when you hear ezekiel 20 <clears throat> 25 and you're an atheist that believes it's all made up anyway. Um, and it reads, moreover, I gave them statutes that were not good and rules by which they could not have life. And then you make the argument that, see, God gave bad commands or God gave bad rules to follow. And then the Christian says, well, just because it says not good, that doesn't automatically mean the complete opposite making them bad. Would you start maniacally cackling as if that's so ridiculous? Or would you be like, okay, that's reasonable. If it's not good, doesn't automatically mean the polar opposite bad. It could just mean not good. It could be like mediocre. It could be neutral. Um, or is that a completely ridiculous point I just made? And you would say, so, no, um, not good totally means bad. So I would ask, so I, I will be as charitable as possible on the let's start with yes it can be a rule can be not bad and not good let's start with that theory um so at that point then if it's a rule is it good to follow the rule and you'd say no it's not good to follow this rule so then i don't understand what it means to have a rule that it's not good to follow uh so i um, mean the context in, in this is um Israel was disobedient, and this is one of their dis disobedient times this is talking about. And so it's it's saying um, they basically got 
they, they didn't get like good, good stuff to do. Like, so whether you can say that's punishment because they were being disobedient and God's giving them what they deserve, what they earned, um, that's the context. Basically, it's like some sort of punishment um, for them not following the good commands. So God's like, all right, here's some commands. Go do these. Okay, um, so on. is there... Yeah, go ahead. Because I was going to ask, is there an example that you can give today of a rule you'd say this rule is not good and not bad. I, I'm just like, as a, I, I yes. am but a small rabbit. And I just need like a concrete <laughs> example. Yes. And real quick, let me answer Simper's question. I hope you're done cackling. Um, okay. Ezekiel 20, 25. Um, here's the word. Let's see if you can hear it. Strong's age, 2706. Hulk. Hulk. And Hulk with the K means, uh, okay. So statue, which is in the translation, ordinance a limit something prescribed something due uh, and then you start going in descending order of definition uh, um of definitions of, of meaning uh, a through f um prescribed task prescription portion law limit boundary decree um did you hear that law uh specific decree so like i said and i think that got another chuckle hut uh laugh was i said they were synonymous and lo and behold hulk means uh statute ordinance limit law something prescribed so um i i don't get what's happening here but um yeah quentin do you have any final thoughts on that because i think this topic is uh strong as trash okay well repent and believe the gospel um jesus is lord wait so okay so no matter what you think of strongs are you disputing the word the word is hulk so i mean i i don't care to talk to you anymore um I think you're kind of a bad faith thing, but you can you can type in in chat if you'd like. Um, does Hulk what what does that mean in in your eyes? Anyways, uh, humble humble rab rabbit. I um, have okay. a uh, oh yeah unrelated could question. I, could I? But go ahead and do that. I remember the other one. Yeah, yeah, go back. So could I give uh, could I give a, a law or command that is that is not good, but it's also not bad? Right. right. That was the question. All right. Let me spend. 10 seconds thinking of this um a good command would be eat your vegetables um for dinner a bad command would be have sugar and sweets um so if, if i give a command that's like i don't know do you see where i'm going um eat a hamburger it's not as good as like you know maybe vitamins and healthy rich vegetables uh but it's certainly not as bad as like you know sugar and candy so, I mean, right, I don't know if that's too dumbed down, but I also spent 12 seconds on it. Well, no, I understand. But like in that sense, like we certainly can agree that certain rules are better than others, right? We can put them on a spectrum, but it still seems like there's like in this spectrum, you'd have a middle point. And I don't know if you could actually balance something on the pivot that was not on the good or the bad. I guess like from different angles, like to say like this hamburger is very filled with protein. I'm on a keto diet. And so this is great. Oh, but um, the vegan things is absolutely the worst thing you can do because it involves cow. So like, is that like, would it matter perspective? But you mean, I'm guessing as a Christian room, you'd be on the objective side. So I'm, I'm having a problem imagining exactly the middle point. Well, it doesn't have to be a middle point. It just doesn't. So my thing, um, see how I like to hedge, which is the water's fine over here. Hedging is great, but to take the absolute point that the op that, um, not good is automatically the opposite of good, meaning polar opposite bad. Um, 
that's that's the absolute position and that's all i'm arguing against so I, i'm not i don't have to take a position that it's exactly middle of the road i just have to take a position that is not 100 polar opposite which is what i'm doing so i'm saying as long as not good lies somewhere between uh not good and bad and it doesn't quite cross the threshold to absolute opposite that's where i'm that's the only point i'm making which is like it should be so much of it just like well never say never so okay sure fine let's move on like it should have been like a 20 second conversation but here we are in the 20th minute ah ah so I've, here's your example like for example if they gave them laws of you shall only eat with your left hand that would be a law that was not good or not bad it just happens to be something you're going to do sure and so now it's a not good law that's neutral it's not bad Unless then we're saying it's it, it is a good law because God gave it or or something like that, but on its face, right. the way you said it, sure. But I have an unrelated <clears throat> question to that. Yes. Did Jesus commit suicide? Uh, well, unless here, I'm interested to hear how you're going with this, but uh, no, he allowed. I mean, literally, the way the story has it, they, they literally murdered him. So um, if you say he like. Uh, threw himself at them um no th th yeah but i mean they totally that sense. And the reason i'm asking so like i start off with the most controversial way to ask this because that's where i'm going to go with it um so he's on the cross and he's on the cross and he's hanging there does he give up his ghost on his own accord or was it pulled from him by like the the physical world around him I mean, there's no way to know beyond what the Bible says. So the Bible says, you know, he gave up his ghost and said it is finished and then, you know, gave up his ghost. So I'm imagining that could be like, you know, how someone had so much trauma, like, I don't know, being whipped to death and had, you know, skin ripped from their bones and been crucified. Um, you know, some level of trauma or like, you know, maybe people in like a, a, a war movie, right? Like acting in a war movie, how you'll see they're, they're like very badly damaged or, uh, you know, had a lot of trauma to their body. And they're in that position where, it's like maybe they could hang on a little longer if they really tried, but it's like, ah, go on, just go well, on without me. And they close wait, their wait. eyes and die. So, I, so I think, yeah, yeah. But could people? You're saying this in the sense of, could anyone other than God have taken Jesus's soul from him? Oh well, well, well no. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, no. If I understand what you're asking. Right. So, like, so, no one could have murdered. No one could have murdered Jesus unless he allowed it. Is that what you're asking? Effectively, Wait, right? Reb, so, if, he... Reb, if you see that someone is about to sh like shoot your child, and then you jump in between the shooter and your child, and you take the bullet, is that suicide? Yes. Is it? You're not the yes. one who pulled the trigger. Yes. Well, the Bible would would maybe disagree with that. I mean, whether or not you, you believe it or not, I mean, Christian theology, the Bible would say, you know, there's no greater love than a person to lay down his life for another, uh, not like suicide yourself. I think intent plays a lot of that. So I think, right. you know, we see an example of like Elijah where he wanted to die and he like begged God to kill him. So, I mean, even even if God did, I wouldn't say that's suicide. Like, I mean, you know, suicide is like intentional. Yeah. You want to die and you do it to yourself. So, so like, and if that's you like jump off a building. It's not the ground that killed you. No, your intent was there. You jumped off. You killed yourself. So even though technically it's yeah. it's the ground interacting with your face, 
um, you still get the credit for suicide. Okay. If you jump so in just, front of a bullet to save another person, that's the intent is not that you want to die. It's that you want right. to save someone. Then suicide is not what we call that. So let me we call that selfless sacrifice. I, let me backpedal. I am saying that the per so let's put it this way: the person that steps in front of the bullet doesn't want to die, and they'll be quite happy if they end up not dying. So in that sense, it's not suicide because the intent is not to end their life. The intent is to stop the other people, the other person, from being killed. So in that sense, it's not suicide. In the sense that Jesus had to explicitly give up his life at that point, he had to make the choice: I will now take my soul from this body. So in that sense, he is literally, he could have gone on, he could have not had pain, he could have just brought himself down from the top, he could have done any number of things, and he chose at that point to do that. Doesn't that make it effectively euthanasia or a suicide? No. No, that's a hard no. Because the person, the reason is that, the, that he would not have died had his flesh not been destroyed by somebody else, right? That's like, that's like saying, like, he was still in a human body. This isn't him just saying like, I'm going to sit here and will myself to die. There was an outside force that caused his death, right? Could because he, he was could God. Could he have healed himself? <laughs> sure. Well, he could. No, I, I don't know where we're going. Can you, this is the day, this is the day of our, um, no. so just fast walk us. Like, so the no, answer right. is no, not suicide. Well, well I, I just want, I, I don't know how much biblical stuff you're familiar with, but like, there, I mean, there's like direct Bible verses, you know, how sometimes we say we have to interpret, but, uh, sometimes it's in black and white. Like basically the Bible speaks black and white to everything you're asking. Um, so I, I, and we're just pointing it out. So I just don't know if, if you're not familiar, which is fine. No problem. I'm just saying like, this is one subject the Bible talks a lot about. So let, let me just give you some perspective then, then you can go on i don't know if this will help you form your questions but the bible says things like you know jesus asks he prays to his father prays to the father says if there's any way this cup can pass from me if there's any way he doesn't have to die and be crucified then that would be super awesome but if there is no other way that he can fulfill his purpose save all of mankind um if there is no other way ultimately he says your not my will but your will be done so he aligns with the father's will so he he doesn't want to die he's not happy about dying but he does it. Then he says, no greater love have a man than he laid down his life for his brother. So he's laying, he's effectively jumping in the bullet of hell for the entire planet. Whosoever wants that. Um, yeah, question go ahead. On that. I'm sorry. Quick question. When did that, when was that story told? Before he was crucified. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. So he was alone in the garden. He's praying. All of his friends there are asleep. They didn't wait for him. Who heard him say that? Like, when did he say this is what happened? Well, a couple things. Um, the Holy Spirit divinely told someone later. There is someone, maybe uh, someone else there who's like spying on them and later became a follower of Christ. They're like, hey, you guys don't know this while you were sleeping, but guess what Jesus said? Or um, Jesus, I don't know, said it. Some, I mean, there was a few days in between, you know, when he was arrested, Peter chopped off the guy's ear and had to heal it. Like, presumably there would be plenty of time to, I don't know, be like, guys, uh, maybe even before that, like, we don't know, but there's plenty of time allowance. Wait, no, there's, not, there's Last Supper, there's Last Supper, <clears throat> prayer, <clears throat> captured, but, like, they, those all happen in the same evening. Yeah. This, this is, this is like the last guy all over again. I, I don't, I don't see the problem. Like, we don't need years for this to happen. Like, you know, the process of him being arrested also took days. I, I, By the way, I don't think it's likely that, you know, they had this conversation while he's being whipped and, you know, transported to carry his own death device. 
but still, I mean, yeah, I think there's plenty of time, and this is not an issue. Wait, like well, now, now, okay, see, I'm, to- I'm totally. In the, the Gospels were written according to, you know, multiple scholars that are both secular and not, we, we've got like a span of a hundred years after Christ's death that the Gospels could have been written, right? We've got like 30 to around 100 AD. Um, so it's not out of the realm. Of, like there's all sorts of examples in the Gospels of Mark writing about something that Mark wasn't there for. Or, you know, it's so so we have this phenomenon where it's like, well, they agree with each other overall enough in terms of ancient letters, right, relatively. And so we sort of have to allow already, if we're going to believe that the Gospels are truth, that there was divine inspiration in them the same way there is in the rest of the Bible. Like the same question about how, who knew this and how did it get written down? We could also ask that about how Paul knew stuff that he wrote or how any of the prophets knew stuff that they wrote. It, you know, it's, I see what you're saying, but it's a, it's a consistent theme across the entire authorship of the Bible. Who, who heard that? Who was there for that? And how did they get that written down and when, you know? Well, that's like the story of Job. I mean, I mean, there's, there's no shortage. I don't know if I'm giving you ammo to fight God. But, I mean, that's like the story of Job. Like, you know, who was around to have that conversation with God and Satan in heaven? Like, yeah. Did they, did, I mean, there's plenty of, I'm, plenty of ways, whether or not you b- believe them or which one is actually true. Like, did the Holy Spirit tell the person that wrote it down? Um, did, you know, it come to someone in a vision or dream? Like, how did we get that story? Uh, did he, I mean, there's all kinds of ways. Who knows what one actually happened? Yeah, and I've always been taught that the the author, whoever they may be in whatever situation, was given this instruction by the Holy Spirit, write this down, you know? Okay, I, I'll stop there for today because um, I, there's a thousand cans of worms that opens up for me, but I, I'll, I'll back away slowly. I mean, yeah, no, I get it. I get well, it. We don't it's have a lot of questioners, so... Uh... I mean, let's see what Vangel has to say. <laughs> I mean, also, also consider after the resurrection as well. Jesus spent some time with them before he ascended. Ah, that's true. But, okay, well, the question would be, if someone is sitting down and they have a voice that starts telling them what to transcribe, and it's just, how would you distinguish the voice of a representative of God from the voice of a representative of Satan from a voice in your own head. What would be the way you determined which one it was? Yeah, well, this I, is a great question. Uh, so this happened during the canonization process, right? So there was tons and tons and tons of writing. What do we have, like 80 known gospels about the life of Christ and four made it through the canonization process? So the, you're ask, that's actually a question about the criteria of canonization. Well, like Joe. So for example, there's... Like Job, right. So so when we're looking at canonizing Job, right, we're going to cross-reference with a whole bunch of other things. Is it a time appropriate? Is the language correct? Is the materials and the copy that we have it on? Do we have, like, provenance for it? All of this. And then does it contradict the other documents that we have already established to be accurate, right? So part of this process was done at 200 B.C., and then another part of this process was done a couple hundred years A.D., right? So that like for the old and the new Testament. So what you're saying, yeah, they had to filter through things that were probably not divinely inspired at worst, uh, you know, at worst inspired by something else, or there was probably a lot that was just sort of like, Oh, well, 
you know, this person wrote this thing down, but that's not the king at the time. So they have some misinformation. So we're not going to include that in this compilation. And so what you're, what you're talking about is, yeah, people, the culture, whoever had to go through over time and, you know, figure out this document is reliable and can be included and this document is unreliable and should not be included. <clears throat> Here's one more for you, Rab. Partial wakefulness. I would not have thought of this, but some scholars suggest that while the disciples were primarily asleep, they may have had partial waking moments during certain moments, including the prayer of Jesus. It's conceivable they overheard portions of Jesus. That's kind of like my spy among the trees thing. But yeah, re I mean, regardless, it doesn't matter like how you come up with this. Like if you're going to quibble over, you know, how a prayer was recorded and written, let's just go back to why does God exist? Like. If something's going to hang you up, let that be the thing. And then yeah, the that was down. my point. Yeah, thanks. You said it better. Hey, Josh, what's up, Mr. Bowen? Dr. Bowen. Um, hey, guys, I'm just driving. I figured I'd pop up on stage because I could. Sure, sure. Do you have insight uh, to this, or did you just jump in the room? I just, yeah, I just walked in. Sorry. Oh, well, Okay. We can, ask Joe, we can ask a question. What was the criteria that Job was accepted? Definitely know that, Doctor Josh. Sorry, you broke up just a touch for me. What was the criteria? That what? That that. So when they were determining if Job should be in the Old Testament or whichever group of the Bibles we want to call it at the time, book of books of the uh, currently considered the Old Testament, what were the criteria? Who judged that Job was in, and what was the criteria they were basing it on? Uh, sorry, like you talking about prior to like ce councils right. like during the formation of the hebrew canon yeah. those are those are tough questions that i don't know that we have good answers to um i mean i at least i i don't um i suspect that it has to do with the the nature of what it's engaging with um but yeah i don't i wouldn't have a good answer well, Dr. Bowen, isn't it, it, it's not as though there was like a moment, uh, say that we had the completed, you know, documents in the Old Testament compiled by 200 BC, right? So it's not as though there's a moment where everyone sat down and said, haha, there it is, everyone signed this constitution, we've agreed to, it's like this was culturally accepted as these are the documents, there are no more and no less, right? Do we have a date that like, that, that we know that was established by? I mean, see, the thing is, they're different for different communities. Um, and we just, I don't think we have a lot of, um, like, as, as far as the material culture is concerned, uh, that sort of data. So, like, the Qumran community would have been um, something, uh, you know, at, at least distinct in, in many of its features. Like, the texts that you see there, even the forms of the text that you see there aren't. I, I suspect would not be the same as if you'd gone to, um, you know, Jerusalem at the time. I, I think different communities just sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Um, and I'm blanking on a good analogy at the moment, but like this is, it's the sort of thing that develops over time, uh, which is not very satisfying of an answer. Well, Sorry. so the Oracle is telling me, um, which is kind of what you said, we don't really know over time. Uh, but the oracle tells me around 516 BCE to 70 B, uh, 70 CE, possibly earlier. 
So basically from the beginning of time until now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I understand. Uh, I think I understand what they're saying. Like during that, that period that, um, you know, would have, would have been the second temple period. You, you have communities that are coming, uh, you know, staying in Babylonia, Babylonia, those that are coming back and you have other, you know, um, groups that are down in like Elephantine and like, like everybody's sort of wrestling with what's like, what's what, um, and I, I think it just takes time for that. Those sort of things to, you know, a, a, maybe a good example would be like looking at other ancient areas through documentation. So if you, if you look at certain liturgies, um, types of religious texts that were used in, in ritual, uh, some of them, you know, from like the second millennium, when you get down into the first millennium, they're not really there anymore. And part of the reason that they're not there anymore is because they were too specific. Like they, they, they called out specific Kings or they called out specific historical situations. And so they sort of lost, um, enough of the ambiguity to be able to be applied to, you know, later situations or a variety of situations. And so they sort of fell out of the quote unquote canonical tradition, but those that were, um, you know, had a, had a, less specific application uh, were able to be, you know, versatile and, and more broadly applied. And so they, you know, they just out of sort of the nature of the way things, you know, the way they were used and the way they functioned became part of that canon. <clears throat> Not that those are the criteria, sorry, uh, for the biblical text, but just as a, as an example of how social situations and communities and, narrow down what they use just out of oh the highway goblins got you you're chopping up a little bit highway goblins it's probably said a lot said no. <clears throat> no that was interesting thank you and we lost rab anyway i liked that answer yeah he hopped away I feel like I'm getting really good at saying, I don't know, but in a lot of words, <laughs> you know, like that's getting really good at that. Isn't that academia? Like that's a lot of, you know, at least 40%. Yeah. Ah, the secret's out. You know, damn it. <laughs> Unless people act like they know when they really don't. <laughs> I mean, you know. That no, never Oh my gosh, uh, Steph, I was talking earlier, like I saw the, um, we, we watched the newest uh, Left Behind movie last night, and uh, it is, would be right up your alley. You need to check that out. Ugh, why? It is, it is just so, I don't, I don't know, it, it's, it's good. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't know how to say it, it's, it's good, but it's not, but it is. Okay, so basically, I'm beginning to be focus, like, like, all, <laughs> okay, when I sat down to watch it, my wife's like, uh, I, I tried to tell her, like, you know, it's a Christian movie, stuff like that. Um, I guess she's, no one else in my family is familiar with, like, the Left Behind series, like, the books that were made movies. And the last couple movies, you know, the one that was really cheesy, like, years ago, how, like, the rapture happened and everyone had a nicely folded pile of clothes left behind. And I'm like, wow, that's lame. Well, anyways, this one's got, like, Hercules in it. It's got Kevin Sorbo and, like, some people. So my, my wife, uh, it starts up and it has some like conspiracy theory tones to it. My wife's like, this isn't a conspiracy theory movie, is it? I'm like, no, it's, it's a movie about God and the rapture and stuff like that. And the more we watch, I'm like, 
oh my gosh, this is like straight off, um, like red meat, right wing, um, very, very conservative. Um, which by the way, I mean, you know, doesn't mean it's wrong. I mean, and what, so they're okay. So there's this guy, it's like, it's clearly like Tucker Carlson, right. And clearly Fox news, like, like is, is the main, like main people, one of the main characters in this. And the guy's like this news reporter. He's like the highest rated one in his network. And, um, you know, he's like breaking all the news and they're trying to censor him. He's like, no, I have a contract. You can't fire me, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we're going to fire you. Like, do not do this story. And, by the time that anyway, so like all these things, and then like when they're talking, they call it the vanishings because this is like after the other movie. So like, uh, you know, people are saying it's aliens, technology, the rapture, all these other things are what people are saying is going on. So you've got like the very, very right wing conservative political um, talking points, just like every single one. And then you've got that coupled with like religion and Christianity and the rapture points. And I'm just like, wow, like if you're a conservative politically conservative christian this is right up your alley if you're someone like probably michael or dr josh you would just facepalm but then i thought you know what because they like hit the pandemic hard right and all like the the like stuff that now we know that you know used to be quote conspiracy theories but now everyone admits like yeah data was falsified people took money people working for the government lied so now they work for farm farm exec uh, jobs like all the stuff right and, and like you know have one shot and then you're good have three have four boosters um it, it, so all the stuff we like absolutely know it is false that they said that was in there they made sure to do that but then i thought you know what wait this movie came out before the tucker thing like i wasn't even paying attention um and uh so this movie was out before he got fired in that whole debacle at Fox news. So I'm like, wow, did they just really coincidentally get this right? Or I don't know what was, was, um, anyway, so that, that's what I got to say about it, but it was a, it was a very entertaining movie. I, I wish it would have, um, it kind of left off t- uh, to set up for another movie. I, I didn't, I don't mean to sound like uh, such I'm a fanboy. Yeah, I that. think, uh, yeah, sorry. I think with uh, anything with Kevin Sorbo, I wouldn't face palm. I would brick wall palm. Yeah. Even Hercules? Yeah. Wait, I, did you I, never see when he was in Hercules back then? No, I, I, I was never. I was never a fan. But I and I wouldn't be able to go back and watch it now. Ever since his his uh, his stunning reenactment of an atheist professor in God's Not Dead. I was about to say um, that. I was about to say that uh, that movie that Nate just said just sounds like a more cringy version of God's Not Dead. If I even thought that was possible. No, well, it, it can't be. A, because, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, I think you're right, it can't be. Yeah. Well, well, I actually never saw God and It's Not Dead, but one of the things I did think was good to point out is it wasn't just like the stereotypical, like very holy Christian and very bad, I, I'm, a, I'm an atheist and I hate God, but I, I say there's no God, but I hate God and I clearly believe in God. Like it wasn't that polarized. It, 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 did, it did a fair representation of lots of people we talk to daily here. So there's like, you know, crappy Christians, good Christians, um, you know, very ardent, staunch atheist, kind of like that one, not so over the top. I mean, even though I didn't see the movie, I get what we're talking about. And then there's like, you know, just good agnostic people that are like, hey, I'm moral. I want to do the right thing for humanity. But no, I don't really think there's a God, but we got to save the world. Like it did a fair job of representing like five of the types of characters of people we see. But, um, I, I, you know, the Tucker thing, I just thought, because I'm like, wow, how do they even get Tucker in there? And I'm like, wait, this was made before that. So do they just randomly predict the future or what? So that was interesting. Yeah, uh, if you yeah, haven't seen God's things. Not Dead, it's just hot garbage. Don't watch it, bro. Even for a comedy watch, don't watch it, bro. It's just that bad. 
Well, that's why I was saying maybe about the first one of the first left behinds, how it was like, you know, the, the rapture took place and like everyone was like out of like their clothes were like left as like very neatly folded clothes, like in, in the car seat or wherever. I'm like, oh, this is lame. Nate, Nate, this is a this is a stretch. But have you seen this is the end? Um, oh, uh, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I have. I've at least seen most of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where, um, the ground opens up. They're running around. They're like at a party or something like that. Man, that's been yeah. years ago. Yeah, that I don't was. I don't remember hardly any of it. Yeah, that was probably the most hysterical reenactment of a. Like I imagine, like for me, that's the that's the fun version of uh, of the Left Behind story. Um, it was yeah, it was very very. I mean, if, about as politically incorrect as you can possibly be, but but I, I'm laughing just thinking about that movie. It's so funny. I I wanted to point out, like, I don't know if anybody noticed this. I don't know if you guys are Seinfeld fans, but uh, there was an episode where Elaine starts dating uh, a guy by the name of um, Joel Rifkin, the, which was the name of, a, like, a famous New York serial killer. Um, and so she tries to get him to change his first name and they, they sit down with pieces of paper and they go through like different options. Like, and one of them is she picks up a sports magazine and she says, Dion, Ooh, that's such a cool name. Dion Rifkin. And he says, I don't know that that would really work. And she says, OJ, OJ Rifkin. Oh, please change your name to OJ. And it was like clearly looking at OJ Simpson. And I thought, well, that's really, you know, morbid clever that they're using oj's it was before the oj simpson murders which <laughs> i thought that was uh that was one of those instances where it was like ooh, that's a little eerie <laughs> i mean clearly the point i'm making is god's real and it was divine revelation no i don't know that <laughs> but um it is very interesting coincidence yeah probably like that so Steph, you got that on your. You, I need to. I need to add that to your Discord movie list. You, yes, you, you're never gonna catch up. Yeah, no. I, have you Have you watched any of them that's no. been recommended to you? Nope, but I will. Lies. I mean, if you're gonna. <clears throat> no, go ahead, Josh. I was gonna say if if you're gonna like be a be a true left behind movie fanatic, you have to start with the '70s versions. The, um, no, no, can't do that. <laughs> the, have oh, wait, you seen I, them? The uh, no, no. let's see. There's the uh, man. What is it? Um, have they been around that long? I didn't realize. Yeah, I think so. Distant Thunder, uh, Thief in the Night. This probably. Oh, wow. I had a dating myself here, so I had a VHS tape, one of those extended VHS tapes that had like all five of them, four or five, recorded, and I used to watch them. Well, I did things, which is maybe sad. I'm not sure. Well, wow. I'm too busy debating whether or not to play Final Fantasy 16, which I've been debating for days now. So we could talk about that. I think the vote is yes, obviously. Would you be okay playing Final Fantasy, but not, but not the new Diablo? Well, Why? Okay, listen. So I'm a huge fan of the Final Fantasy series. That's where my video game addiction began, right? But they just came out with 16 and I bought it. But then I read because of course I bought it. Then I read the reviews and people were like, whoa, the franchise took a totally different turn. It's super violent. It's really gory. So then I thought, you know what, before I open it, I'm going to play 
the sample, you know, they give you like a free, you can play the first chapter for free on the PlayStation store. So I played it and it it was horrific. Like it was super bloody. It was extremely gory. There was so much swearing. Like, you know, the Final Fantasy games usually have a little bit of that, but not terrible. They're known for having really good stories. So we play them in front of the kids, you know, because there's nothing that they can't see. This game was horrifying. I needed to, like, bleach my virgin eyes. So I'm still debating, like, do I want to open the game I bought and finish it? I've been debating this for four days. I don't know what to do. I am so glad. What would Jesus do? Why, Josh? Uh Uh-oh, Josh, you're cutting out again. Oh, no, Josh, we don't hear you. Wait, he's I mean, back. We heard that, but I'm not hopeful. Oh, you're glad I said it, because why? Um, so my, my wife is a big gamer, and when Final Fantasy, I think, 7 came out, the remake, yes. it was, like, from her youth, and she bought it immediately. And that's what we do in the evenings after we put all of our 37 kids to bed. <laughs> um, we sit down in the basement, and I sit next to her and make her uh, cheese and crackers while she plays a video game. But Excellent. So you first said that. You said there's a new Final Fantasy, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go buy it. And I'm really, really squeamish. Like, I cannot watch gory things. Yeah. I'm really glad that you said the second part. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? I have a very low threshold. Squeamish is, I don't like gore. I don't like gratuitous sex. Like, I don't, it just, there's something about it that creeps me out that people find for that kind of stuff exciting. So, you know, the 7 remake was like, it's a good story, right? It's nostalgic. That's the same thing for me. Final Fantasy VII was the first game I ever played. So when that remake came out, I was like thrilled. And it has some intensity. It has some implied violence. It has some sexual overtones. But it's like, it's all stuff that goes over kids' heads well enough. So, you know, uh, no, 16 is not that. 16 was like throat slitting and beheading. And um, it, like, I have not... Again, I haven't played any wildly violent video games, but by far and away, that's the worst I've ever seen. I was horrified. I keep trying to convince her to let me buy her, like, a life-size model of that big sword, the broad one. Yeah, uh, the buster sword. I'd like the, uh, I'd like the sling blade from Final Fantasy VIII. But uh, Deepak, uh, not to derail with uh, video games. What's up, Deepak? No, wait, I need help with this. Let's <laughs> You're going to run people off against Steph. Okay, I'm sorry. No okay, one we'll come to back to this. About... Well, All right. Okay. Everyone, 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 think about what Steph should do, and we'll get right back to you, Steph. Gee, thanks. <laughs> so come up with very godly advice for Steph in video games. I mean, I think the answer is no, right? Like, I, I don't know about it, but you're like, gratuitous violence, all kinds of sex, swearing, slitting throats. I mean, I think, I think you're looking for a reason to play it, when we all know the answer is from a Christian perspective. Probably not. Yeah, that being said, right, you know, yeah. I kind of like gratuitous violence, and I'm fine with that. But um, anyways, we'll get right back to you, Steph. But you know, Jesus is saying no. Say this, but maybe pray about it. <laughs> I have been, and the answer is no. I think she already did, and she doesn't like yeah. the answer, and now she's seeking human counsel, the ah, wisdom of man. Exactly. <laughs> so, Deepak, what's up? Hey, what's going on? I don't. Oh, uh... you're just trying to reel Steph's soul back from the edge. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, it's not my cup of tea. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't have any burning questions. But I, this question did come into my head. I was in the other room, like the John Lee room, where listening to like the 200 millionth interrogation of John Lee. I 
finally <laughs> i got bored <laughs> just yeah it just gets tedious after a while but uh here's a question for 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 the christians um so you know i i spent like the first 20 years of my life in india and then i've spent the last 20 years of my life in the us right mostly in california um and you know like in like in the first 20 years right like the only way i would the only um access i had to i don't know like the way of life uh, in the us was through these books and so there's recently that a good sense of uh religious life right like religion is actually a lot more important than movies especially movies like lead you to believe right for people here um and i wonder if like the christians have thoughts on that like you know you just never see people like doing anything you know like going to church etc etc um i didn't get all that you were kind of chopping up but i mean yeah, sorry, i'm going to church like if people were to stalk me around no no no, no me i, I meant uh what i i meant in movies specifically movies tv shows right like i feel like the you don't you don't see people do it right in movie it just i mean if it happens it kind of happens off screen or maybe for some specific plot reason or maybe just cuz they're getting married other than that like you know religion just doesn't play a role in movies except you, the same you know what i'm saying well except like every every except like all the like resurgence of horror movies that specifically are like demons and there's always a catholic priest cuz i guess catholicism is safe in hollywood um but uh, so i would say that i mean you know you if if you do see religion in people in church it's it's almost always at like a catholic church um i guess just culturally or whatever they like the priest costume or whatever but i mean yeah i would say like i generally would agree with that exception and then in horror movies like you know like the is, is all the ones that dealing with like demons and priests and stuff like that yeah but like, you're not going to see a lot of like, religion in marvel yeah but to me that's like you know if if you know you think about like how like say india is depicted in movies right it's all, it's well at least in the past it used to be i don't know like uh some kind of snake charmer dude doing a rope trick or doing yoga and like you know it it, it feels a little one dimensional stereotype and if the only like representation of religion in movies in the US is like a catholic priest like exercising demons i i think if i was christian i'd feel a little like you know there's an entire dimension of my life that well i don't know if i want it represented in movies necessarily maybe i, I think of i think of it like as a private kind of thing uh or like what's hollywood if hollywood is going to make a movie about like you know some some interesting plot revolving around religion then they're going to butcher it or something so maybe i wouldn't want it necessarily represented but i don't know what, what do you guys think i mean i mean i don't I, i there's so many thoughts that i don't really have one because it's i mean you you covered all the bases like if there if there was to be rep- like yeah it would be nice to be you know have the representation there on the other hand if it was it would probably be like a representation would be shocked and appalled at um like uh you know the righteous gemstones right like there you go there's hollywood depicting religion um in a way i would say <laughs> we can do without that um you know it's a bunch of like conniving con artist televangelists um so like that's not exactly putting you know uh the jesus of the bible in the best possible light um so i mean yeah i would have a corresponding thought to each possible thing if they portrayed religion just the way i believe just the way i would like then if they would ha- have me consult them sure that'd be great to see that in hollywood um 
if they do it completely backwards and like in the worst possible light, then I'd rather them just not portray it in Hollywood. Um, but I mean, we keep saying the word that is the theme, the theme Hollywood. <laughs> so yeah, maybe, um, yeah. What do you yeah. think, Steph? Um, unless you'd like to see it in your uh, video games as well. Um, <laughs> maybe some religion for, portrayed as like human sacrifice or something with Final Fantasy splitting throats or whatever you're talking about. Wait, was, was the original question like, uh, why isn't it in movies? Yeah, Would why you like isn't to see like... it more and why not? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 by religion, I guess I meant not necessarily not necessarily like you know I, I think there have been like really I think of uh, movies like the Ten Commandments and Ben Hur at least cinematically were like really good, but those were like you know stories taken from scripture right like I meant like you know you don't see people like you know you you'll see like a situational comedy where like and they're all and most of them are set in like New York or something right uh, you don't see people go to church as like, you know, an ordinary part of their life, right? Just as a natural thing to do, like they're going to a coffee shop, right? You don't see people yeah. talking about religion like a normal thing. Right? But that stopped in Hollywood at a certain time, right? And there's a lot of stuff in American culture that, that happened. So we had like an educational reform in the 60s and 70s. There's a lot of cultural reform in the 60s and 70s. And that's kind of when it stopped. If you watch older shows, you do see this. Like, there's a lot of, uh, there, if you watch, um, oh, the Andy Griffith show, for example, right? A lot of that show takes place in the church because it's one of the centers of the town. It's like the settings are his house, the jail, the church, the, you know, wherever, uh, you know, the fishing spot. So if you see TV that was made or like Petticoat Junction has a lot of that, Green Acres has a lot of, you know, if you're into any of those old, okay, well, nobody is except me, but that's part of the charm of those old TV shows. So, yeah, I think that that missing from the public, you know, from the um, from like movies and film and, and television is like that came along with all the other reforms that happened in the 60s and 70s. Um, and I guess and I don't know. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's either thing. I think it's reflective of what the culture is doing, right? Like art is always reflective of what a culture is doing. So if but, it's becoming less important, God for, help us. Yeah, right. I know. So, but that's that's kind of the nature of art now. So Renaissance Italy, where everybody is painting the crucified Christ and you know Mary and the the Pietà, that's going to be reflective of what was going on culturally at the time in Italy. Um, where, you know, or Baroque music or whatever, where so much of it is worshipful. Um, or, you know, now we have 2023 in America where church is not really a part of the reflection of, you know, is not being reflected in the art. It's just what happens. But I, I guess that's, uh, I guess what I was going to say is like, you know, it, it is still a part, like a big part of many people's ordinary lives, right? Um, and, um, and yeah, like maybe like, you know, you could make, you could make the counter argument for like Baroque art and music that, you know, religion is almost overrepresented. Like obviously people had like ordinary lives as well. And we don't really know much about that given the art we have from them, but like, it's almost like the opposite is happening, right? Like if you were to try to reconstruct what daily life for an American is from our, from movies, right? Okay. From Hollywood movies, like, you know, you would imagine like just like i did like growing up that oh yeah like nobody in america is really religious right um it was a discovery for me coming here that's that's why i, I don't know if it's like art's role to do that right? but 
Well, so keep in mind that a certain part of the population is going to be artistic, right? So your filmmakers and your painters and your video game designers and your art, you know, your um, comic book creators are generally not people who have traditional conservative lifestyles overall. So, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing, but when you're watching or like, so my degree is in art history, right? (laughs) So when you're looking at the art, the history of art, when you're looking at the art that a certain culture was producing, you're getting a reflection of a certain, like you have to be aware of who the artist was, what their upbringing was. Like, like we look at Van Gogh, right? And we can say, well, Van Gogh painted these wild, you know, that for the time nobody else was doing this and they look like he was on drugs and then he cut off his ear and then he committed suicide, right? So a huge part of the context of Van Gogh's art, part of it reflects that it got a lot of attention because it was so out of the ordinary and it was also visually beautiful. There's a lot of courage. He's using a lot of colors that weren't being used. He's actually using dangerous pigments and stuff. But then there's also his diagnoses. So it's more complicated than that. Like 200 years from now, if they watch the Avengers movies and and church doesn't appear in it, they someone may be studying the movie and saying, what was the life like of the person who wrote this? Did they grow up reading these comic books? You, you know what I mean? Like, it's really complicated. You, you balance the reflection that the culture is casting with the creator. That, those are great points, yeah. Steph, I love hearing you talk about art history. Just FYI. Well, that is a super high compliment. Thank you. I will try to keep my noggin its normal size. Hey, Joe, what's up, Joe? Thank you. Um, Because some of the texts were omitted, and I've asked you this before, I sent you in the chat and in your back channel um, the Last Supper painting, and I know it could be fiction or not, so I'm just uh, maybe at your leisure, and then one day uh, after you watch it, you can help me out with it. So this is the Da Vinci uh, Last Supper painting I posted in the chat, and it seems that the 12 apostles each stand for um, a constellation, and I was just wondering if that is like... um okay to look into or if that's sort of like um haran or what how would you call it <laughs> like um so this is a really good example right so da vinci okay. was very much a scientist and a humanist and he was commissioned by the catholic church so what we have here is a painting done by a man who may or may not have been like i'm sure we know from his other writings that spirituality was important to him he certainly was not going to be philosophically and theologically aligned with the church fathers and the the tradition that we would consider when we look back. So when we look at any of Da Vinci's religious paintings, we're not we're not going to see like a pure representation of his intention was ne- not necessarily I'm going to sit down and depict this exactly as I thought it would have happened. Right? There's a lot of symbolism. There's hands that don't belong to anybody. There's feet that don't match the person. You know. There's uh, color codes. Um, so yeah, he he's. He's a naturalist. He's a scientist. He's a humanist. He's he's like delving into this postmodern thing that was way before his time. So look into it as much as you want to. It's certainly something I've looked into because it's interesting. Um, I wouldn't take any religious beliefs from Da Vinci's artwork, if that makes sense. Okay, because um, it is called astro theology. How the constellations, the universe, the stars, and everything um, was sort of put 
weaved into the scriptures. Um, for example, when uh, God said in the book of Job to Job, I gave you the stars, I gave you the Maserat. Um, so you're just saying don't really, it's not really going to hold water as far as teaching us anything. Is that correct? Oh, I have never looked into astrology and how it crosses over in into Christian history. Astrotheology. So okay. Oh, thank okay. you, dear. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so you don't know about it. Is that what you're saying? I don't. The extent of my knowledge about this is going to be Got something it. exactly like this painting where it's like Da Vinci okay. was kind of into that stuff and it's completely extracurricular <laughs> to the Bible. So I, I don't know, Nate, is that something you've ever researched? Well, it's like, I mean, my what was the term? Astro what? Astrotheology, or what was it? Correct. It's where um, we see things regarding, the, you know, the, the constellations, the universe, the stars in the scriptures. Right. I, yeah, I was just thinking of the term. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not familiar with, like, um, what someone can glean from that. Like, if it's something that's, like, very, very blasé or it's very, you know, very not heretical, that it's like, oh, well, you know, we can glean something about the, the solstice and the time of year, like, just something very natural and mundane that's like, Okay, well, if you see it in the scriptures, fine. Or if it's something like, you know, getting into, um, I don't know, like, jeez, uh, like astral projection, or we can use, you know, the um, retrograde of Venus and Mercury aligning to predict things. I'd say, no, turn and run. Um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of like, anyways, that, that would be my thoughts. So if I don't know the teachings, I'm, I'm interested now, so I'm not, I'm not sure what it's saying you can glean. But that would be my kind of guide guide rails, just as a Bible-believing, God-fearing Christian. If it's something like just non-consequential at all, it doesn't matter, sure, great. Maybe you can learn when to grow a better plant at a certain time of year from the stars, um, you know, because the way they align, I don't know the seasons. But if it's something other than that, that like gets into like some sort of like deeper knowledge or like well, Zodiac stuff, I'd be like, ah, eh, that's... Well, but geez. I mean, the bigger thing is like how... Well, well the bigger thing would be like, you know... You know the counterfeit by, by knowing what's real. So it's like if – and a lot of times, like, I also feel other people do this when they start focusing on tradition and stuff that came, like, hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, look at all this rich tradition. Look at all this other stuff we've, like, added on top of Christianity. Um, and I'm like, well, guys, why? Like, less is more. Like, you already have the most important thing, which is Jesus. So if you've got the most important thing, why look to the stars? Just keep looking to the one who made the stars. Why look centuries down the road at all the stuff you've added on top of it? Just get rid of all that stuff and just stay at Christ, like stay at the cross. That's that's the most important stuff you're ever going to learn. So just stay there. Um, so the, the best argument I would make from ignorance of not knowing what this stuff teaches is if you've got Jesus, you're not going to learn anything more important than that. Okay. Well, being that Christmas is on the winter solstice, why I started looking into it. You know, and then the resurrection on the, you know, spring. So, but all right. Hey, I'm going to look that up real fast. Let's see if I can quickly learn what some of this stuff says. Okay. Well, it's not just on, while you're looking at that, just on Christmas and Easter. It, it's so, it's not a big, I don't know, my perspective is always to try to step back and get out of the headspace of 2023 right a little bit but it's like it's not a huge mystery why dates that are natural and important so so we see the solstices and the equinoxes are important all over the world with cultures that didn't have any contact with each other ever throughout all of time 
So it's not that big a mystery to say, okay, this was already an understood important day of the year. It's, it's an unusual day of the year. This thing happens. So let's put, I don't know, I've never had a problem with that. It's just sort of like, yeah, whatever. There's <laughs> people are already celebrating the winter solstice. So we're going to commandeer that for Christianity. You know, I don't think there's any more complicated math than that. Well, I'm sorry, in all respect to me, it's not whatever. There's a reason why they put yes, the birth and the death right. on certain pagan holidays that were already established prior to Christianity. But I'm not okay, well, I'm what's your what what do you think the reason is? Well, I'm not gonna go into the whole reason. I mean, it obviously has to do with the agricultural after... agricultural cycle, obviously, you know, and harvest and that kind of thing. Well, I mean, Occam's razor, I mean, you know, suggest the simplest answer is usually the right one. Um, it's because the, the, you know, pagans had already done this and aligned it with the solstice and fertility and harvest and stuff like what you just said. Um, so, I mean, Occam's razor says Christians wanted a Christian, so they wanted to spread Christianity. So, um, yeah, they're just like, Hey, pagans, you worship that. Well, here, let's just move Jesus right in there. And there you go. Now be a Christian. <laughs> right. So, I mean, so yeah. So I'm not saying, yeah, so it's like not saying the Christians did all this stuff to align with pagan holidays because of the solstice. It's like because the pagans already did that, the, the, like the pagans' mission was to align with the solstice and whatever. The Christians' mission was to convert the pagans. So if they're like, oh, you know, like maybe if they would have thought like, you know, they celebrated Jesus one week after the solstice, um, and then they found out the pagans, you know, did their holidays on the solstice. They're like, oh, okay, hey guys, let's worship Jesus on the solstice now. Not because of a celestial reason, but because that's when the pagans pagan. So that's when the Christians want a Christian as a way to convert them. Um, but yeah, I'm just looking through some of this. Like, um, as far as like astral theology, like that's like a whole like just weird woo thing on its own. But if you like talk about it specific to Christianity, then it's exactly what you're saying. And it's like, you know, the, the it, I mean, as far as I can tell, it just talks about like symbolism, like the star of Bethlehem and stuff like that. Which it, it seems like it's just reading into it. So, it, I mean, based on what it says, like Christian astrotheology. Um, so if I'm if I'm like giving a pass to something deeply heretical, I, I'm only critiquing what I'm reading. But just um, like cosmic um, imagery, like what you were saying, like in the paintings in the Last Supper, um, and like associating Christ with like the sun and, and just as association. So as far as like a deep religious meaning. It seems like the best you're going to get is just like symbolism, like, you know, Christ is bright as the sun and, and you know, things like that. Or the star of Bethlehem is some sort of sign um, about a new birth or the redemption of humanity through Jesus. Um, let's see, something about cosmic redemption. Let's see what that says. But anyways, it seems like it's a leap. Like, you know how you just read the Bible and some things just leap out on the page and you're like, there's no way to misinterpret this. People still do, but you're aghast. You're like, it says it point blank. There's no way to mess this up. Um and then there's other things that require interpretation. Uh, this seems like the entirety of Christian astrotheology is deep interpretation and extrapolation to the point where no one's ever going to know if, if there's any substance to it. Uh, let's see. Cosmic redemption. Um, connection of life, death, resurrection with cosmic themes. Cosmic, Christ's work on Earth has broader cosmic implications, reconciling and redeeming the entire universe. Eh, are we saying all believing humans with souls in the entire universe? Or is that like where creation will cry out? So, I mean, that, that could be a problem. Um, anyways, if, if you're still here, Joe, uh, that's, that's what I would say about all that. So at best, you're just getting some symbolism and non-heretical 
extrapolations at worst um yeah there's there's like <laughs> some heresy in there all right thank you for looking into it though i really appreciate it i will try to look into that more um when i have time uh, i beg to differ what's up you have your hand waving yeah i had a question for joshua but since the room is ask a Christian, maybe I should ask native Steph first, or anyway, the question was about Egypt and the days of Joseph, the son of Jacob. Was Egypt the superpower of its day, even though, of course, back in those days, they probably didn't use the term superpower, but since Stephanie said she's uh, in, into history, um, question was for Josh, but anyone can answer. Oh yeah, no, that sounds like a Josh question. Yep. <laughs> I mean, certainly, like, Egyptian history is not my area of specialization. Um, and, you know, thinking about, um, like, what it, what it means to be a superpower, I think, is, is probably complicated in and of itself. Like, so during, and of course, the other question is, like, when we're, when someone would suggest that the time of Joseph would be, um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, as far as uh, superpower, like, if, if we're talking about, like, having control of the entirety of the ancient Near East or something, that's not really a thing. Um, and, and, of course, in Egyptian history, there are periods of centralization and, you know, strength under, you know, a single, like, a single rule. And then the intermediate periods where there's fragmentation and struggle with the South and those sorts of things. Um, so, but I guess if we're talking about the time of, um, you know, maybe around, I guess you'd be maybe thinking under the traditional timeline, maybe the old Babylonian period. So like around 1800, 1700 BCE, you know, in Mesopotamia, uh, that would have been, you know, the, the first dynasty of Babylon, so Hammurabi would have been in control and would have had a very powerful empire. Um, but of course, you know, his, his influence would have been not over the entirety of the ancient Near East in that, in that same sense. Um, in Canaan during that time, like he would have had in the Middle Bronze Age, uh, you know, times of resurgence, great resurgence in power. Of course, as you start to get into the middle of the second millennium, you start to have Egypt taking, uh, you know, I think a stronger grip in Canaan. And of course, they're fighting during the Amarna period, struggling with the other major power clubs, you know, the, the major powers in, the, in the, the great powers club of the Amarna period. So like the, the Hittites and um, Mitanni and Assyria and later Babylonia. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess that's a really complicated question that again I think I've taken two minutes to say I'm not exactly sure <laughs> given the question sorry well Dr. Josh your money was well spent because I'm, I'm you know consulting the uh, oracle here um, chat GPT and it's uh, it's just saying every, you're saying everything it's saying so um, unless you are at source and it's implanted in your head yeah I mean during like 17 uh, BCE when Joseph was around like um I mean, it wouldn't be considered like a superpower like we are today, like a world power, but regional for sure. And then I'm, I'm just like following along and like, yep, yep, yep. Like everything you're saying, Josh. Um, 
is at least what this is saying. So, yeah, re like regional superpower, like, you know, they were, um, I mean, the height of their arms was like chariot warfare, but still, yeah, it's like their, their competitors would be like the Hittites, the Mitanni, just like you said, and Assyria. But yeah, so I don't know if it's exactly in the terms you were thinking of, but they, I mean, they were like the boss of their region. Well, that makes me feel good. I feel like uh, my memory's not quite gone yet. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's see. Who would win in a fight between them? Hittites. Um, <laughs> determining the outcome of a hypothetical fight between civilizations ancient powers is challenging and speculative. It depends on numerous factors. Oh, just answer the question. Um, if we were to consider the time in 17 uh, BCE. Um, come on. Oh, the Hittites. <laughs> Who said Hittites? I did. They had iron. The Hittites. Yeah, iron. <laughs> the Hittites were renowned for their chariot forces and military organization. While Mitanni possessed uh, strong cavalry, Assyria in later centuries uh, became disciplined, efficient, blah, blah, blah. Um, military strength. Egypt was well organized. Um, military inf infantry, chariots, archers. However, direct comparisons conclude hypothetical bow battles, um, although hypothetical and subjective. Um, I'm going to force this thing to pick. I, I think it's leaning Hittite. <laughs> Can I point out something that's a hard right, but just something that I've noticed? Uh, it, is, it seems pretty consistent and a little funny. Uh, you know, I, I grew up fundamentalist evangelical. I struggle, and everybody that I've met that, uh, that, I, can, that I can recall also struggles with this, to say the word uh, cavalry because we say Calvary. <laughs> uh, have you noticed that? Like anytime I say it, I, I automatically say Calvary. It's like typing the word Chris. I always type Christ and then have to delete the T. It's very interesting, the little things. <laughs> Maybe you were just preordained uh, to do that by Calvinist. Or I'm just, you know, special. <laughs> Can I uh, take advantage of Dr. Josh being here for a second? Um, we uh, Yesterday, so we had a conversation, Nate, you weren't here, but Steph was here, um, about the reliability of the Bible. And uh, my argument was kind of that the Bible is a uh, large compilation of books. Some, some are more reliable and some are less reliable historically. You know, when you go to the time before David and Solomon, it's uh, definitely not reliable. And so I wanted to ask Dr. Josh, um, like as a as a historian of the ancient Near East, like how would you rank the different sources that you use for history? Like, is there a kind of an unofficial maybe hierarchy of like what is considered the most reliable and kind of where the Bible fits uh, in that kind of scale, so to speak? I don't know if there's an official scale, but at least uh, as a historian, how you look at it. Josh, I have um, to add something to your response. Can, can I include something to, uh, that please? you can add to your response? When someone says this and this, which we know is definitely not reliable, as a historian, would you um, just automatically be like, okay, sure, it's definitely not reliable? Or would you be like, ah, it's weighting the scales a little much, if you could include that in your response? Oh, Go yeah, ahead. sure. And I, I suspect, I mean, like, I, I, I suspect Constantine meant it, uh, in a, like, in the charitable way. Like, um, so... Okay. I, there are a lot of factors. I'll be really quick. Sorry. I, there are a lot of factors, obviously, that go into weighing sources for whatever you're studying uh, in, in, you know, ancient culture. So, like, when you're looking at law, uh, you look for, you know, uh, types of sources that are speaking specifically to uh, legal uh, transactions or, you know, 
uh, situations, and then then you can expand out, you know, from that literature that could inform you or didactic text or whatever. But they they all have to be sort of you know, put through a filter of some sort. Um, so when it like when it comes to history, like one of the reasons that we rely so heavily on Mesopotamian sources because we have them, <laughs> right? They you know they were they were put down on clay tablets, and so like we we've got a half million of them. Um, and so they end up being then. Oh, Josh. Oh, we got a phone call. Uh, can you hear? Me? Yeah, yes, you're good. Sorry. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yep. Oh, okay. Good. Sorry. Um, and so like we, since we have those clay tablets and, uh, you know, inscriptions and those sorts of things, like it means that the evidence quite often leans on it, uh, leans on them more heavily. So um, I think that there are certain genres of text that are more likely in scholarly estimation to represent at least the, the basic, the basic data uh, or like the main points of the data um, more reliably than say others. So like, obviously if we looked at mythological texts, they're, Know, going to be less reliable if we look at royal inscriptions. They're going to be more reliable, but that doesn't mean that you can just simply read Sargon's Eighth Campaign and know exactly what happened. Um, so I guess with all of that, one of the problems with something like the Hebrew Bible, of course, is that we don't have any, you know, any texts from the period. Right, everything is is, is uh, you know contained in much later manuscript traditions, um, and it's also not. Uh, generally understood to be strictly trying to present, uh, you know, historiography or doing historiography as we would expect. So if you look at like the books of Chronicles, for example, there's a definite like theological move that's being made there. Right? It's presenting the South. It's, you know, uh, and, and even Kings is doing something uh, similar and presenting. Sorry, somebody's just really interested in getting a hold of me. Um, and um, so, yeah, I mean, so I would say this, like genre, period of time, uh, you know, availability of the sources, uh, and, and the number of sources for comparative analysis. Um, these are the types of things that I think we look at when we try to reconstruct a historical period. And the, the biblical texts, I think, are actually, uh, even though they have to be, you know, still uh, filtered is the word that's coming to mind, but like, you know, used uh, from a historical critical standpoint, like we have to uh, be, be uh, understand the biases of the text, understands the, the, understand the motivation of the text or the purpose of the text. Um, I still think that it can, and does very often represent, uh, particularly in the, you know, to the mid to late uh, first millennium, like it's, I think it's presenting, or even, even the earlier parts of the first millennium, I think it's presenting probably pretty close to accurate history in many respects. Um, I think what Constantine said, and I'll land with this, sorry, um, that when you start to get back past, like, you know, the United Monarchy uh, under Saul, David, and Solomon, like the, the data starts to become like, from a historical, I mean, from a like a scholarly standpoint, historical critical standpoint, like less uh, reliable in that sense. 
the further back you go, the less reliable it gets uh, when you in, until you get back to like the primeval history in Genesis one through eleven, and then it's I think pretty much everybody agrees that it's it's you know, mythological in nature and doing just something completely different theologically. I don't agree and, with that. Yeah, go ahead and respond real quick, and then if you want. No, I'm not an expert, but I say I don't agree with it. It's mythological. Well, speaking of yeah, Doctor Josh. I would love sometime if you have time to uh, to do a one on one uh, since Michael is back. Yeah, yesterday he took some time and we uh, had a little chat for uh, for our video podcast that I'm trying to get more people interested in because things are better on camera. Don't but do I would it. Love it's a to trap. Pick, I would love to pick your. Yeah, he's he's a closet Christian. We converted him yesterday on air. Anyways, that's uh, that's up today. So uh, if anyone else would be interested in doing that, I would love to pick your brain a little bit more about some stuff at some point, Josh. Yeah, that's that sounds fun. Um, I probably can't do it today. I'll, I'll be driving. It probably wouldn't be interesting to look at my ceiling. But... Learn Michael's deep, dark secrets. Check that out, too. Um, <laughs> but sorry. But, uh, uh, let's... I did, did, sorry, did, did, did I want cer- to... Cer- certainly, uh, you can re- respond. To, uh, like I, You can push, push on me. That, to be clear, what I mean by mythology in that sense is sort of in the technical sense of the term, uh, in that it's, it's utilizing... Um, narrative that deals with the divine realm usually or often interacting with the human realm in order to make a theological point. That's what I'm saying about that's how I'm using the term mythology. It's not like in the colloquial sense of myth, therefore it's like false, if if that makes sense. No, I think when when God tries to make points like that, he, he, he used prophets like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah to do that type of stuff, but don't think Moses ever did any of that. And uh, just since he's waited so long, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but um, it's in his name. It's not just me, but uh, Mo Lester. Um, what deep spiritual question do you have on your mind? No, I'm just Mo. here to ask questions. I'm actually uh, an atheist, so I'm just I'm just here to listen. Uh, but I also have like a lot of uh, interest in the Bible, like who is a Christian, a Jehovah's Witness of all global Christian uh, religions to be part of a group is one of those. So it's just it's interesting looking at like Trinitarian points of view or what Christians like uh, uh, just the comments about like you know uh, their theology. I just find it intriguing to this day. But not from like a patronizing tone, not like from a patronizing tone, like, oh, look what the kids are up to. Like, no, not like that. I just find it genuinely interesting. Sure. Well, yeah, if you have anything, let us know. Your microphone is really hard to hear, though. Um, I heard everything you said, but it was really difficult. Um, I don't know if there's a way to fix it, but yeah, if you're able to fix that or whatever, yeah, ask away, that's fine. Um, but in the meantime, uh, let's see. Is there anything going on in chat? Steph, is anything yes, fun happening there, or are you just talking about, about art stuff? No, it's going to oh, melt. that's the opposite of fun. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> um, go back to your finger painting. <laughs> I will. I'm just kidding. I've already made Chris mad at me. I can't make. I can't afford to have someone else. Why is week. Chris mad at you? What did you do? Oh, because I, I. Oh, what was I? I don't think he's really mad. He, he was in here earlier. Um, I. Oh, what? Gosh, what was it? Can anyone help me remember? I was. I was it was two days. It was two days ago, and he was. He was a little snippy, and he moved him down to the audience. Yeah, like, yeah. I said something, and it, it, was one of, it was one of the things I do, right, where I'm, like, talking very abstract, like, um, some, some theological position. Oh, oh yeah, it was like, um, 
oh goodness okay this isn't it but it was just let's say something like jesus died oh that's what it was <laughs> i do remember like jesus died on the cross so um you know he, he basically paid for the sin of the of everyone like he died once for everyone but but you know everyone is the who, whoever believes right so whoever so not everyone like everyone's automatically forgiven whether they want it or not like he you know his death covered the everyone the whole planet everyone that's ever lived um but it's only going to be actualized if you know the whosoever people are like yes i'll take that um and because i i didn't say it in the right theological framework because you know calvinist um he's like that's the stupidest argument i'm like oh thanks buddy and i dropped him i i i brought him right back up but he got kind of huffy i think So on a serious note, I wanted to chime in about yesterday. So this is uh, this is not necessarily for, um, well, it's not for you for sure, Nate. But so for anybody listening to this or that will listen to it later, um, yes, I was I was Nate's inaugural guest on his video podcast, and uh, everybody should feel free to to send him a message and to do that. Uh, it's not a trap like I was joking about a few minutes ago. Uh, it's just a good opportunity to have a, you know, kind of a more intimate um, discussion with someone and talk about, uh, you know, what you believe, why, and or why you don't believe and why not. Yes, good times were had. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, it was fun because sometimes here, you know, I mean, even I can't even always say everything I'd like to, <laughs> even though I talk a lot, because, uh, you know, it's an open stage, it's an open forum, and I like it that way. So, you know, I mean, right now, I mean, you know, everyone has plenty of time, but often, uh, like, like there'll be 20 people on stage and everyone is like fighting for oxygen to talk. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good way to, uh, to kind of calm down a little bit. And, you know, like everyone's like, people can hear me like taking breaths, like just waiting for like someone to take, uh, you know, to pause so I can jump in before someone else talks. So it's, it's a little calmer, a little less chaotic. So that's, that's kind of the goal and the idea. And we, we learned we learned again that we have uh, a few more areas of agreement. <laughs> it is getting scary. All right. Speaking of areas of disagreement, um, Michael, question for you. It's something I said to Constantine yesterday, I believe it was, because he claims to be a former Christian, that for you to have been a Christian previously, that would have to mean that God the Father saved you and sealed you. And I'm basing this on scriptures. The one scripture I mentioned yesterday is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is verse 22, and talking about God, it says, who have sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Means if you're a Christian, that means God the Father sealed you. So my question to you is, were you, were you ever sealed by God the Father? Okay, so this will sound, I'm going to try to be in my nature uh, as charitable as possible, but it will sound way more argumentative. Um, at the time, I believed I was. Uh, it was my firm conviction. Uh, when I look back on it now, no, I wasn't sealed by the Father, and neither are you, um, because I'm convinced the Christian God doesn't exist. But at the time, it was my solemn belief that that was the case. I believed that I was saved by grace through faith alone. Um, I believed that, uh, you know, in the Trinitarian view of God, uh, three, three, three persons, one being, so to speak, um, and that, uh, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin, came, died for my sins, 
and uh, rose again three days later, and I believed all that stuff. I no longer believe that. I would give the exact same answer. Okay, but so, so now it sounds like you're saying that no, you are not saved. No, and neither are you. Okay, so then you were not a Christian. No, well, and in the strictest and in the strictest sense, neither are you because the Christian God doesn't exist. So, so like if if you understand kind of where I'm going with this, right? Like, so I believed that I was at the time, and I accept that you, you know, that you believe the Christian faith, the same as I did, right? And and I've, I can't tell you. So Nate, we were talking before about you know sitting there and understanding where the person, you know, where you 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 entertain the hype, you ent you entertain the conversation, even though you know where it's going, um, and yeah. I can't, if I had a nickel for every time someone told me I was never really a Christian, um, well, I certainly wouldn't be working. That's what you just said yourself. You said you were not. You said you believed you were at the time. So it's not, those are your words. Right. So, but if you listened, so if, if you, if you understood the subtext of what it was I was saying, then you'd understand where I'm coming from. It sounds like you, and I'm not trying to be condescending but it sounds like you don't understand what I was actually saying. So I used to have the firm belief. I was a Christian. Um, you may not think so. You may not, and, and you, you may not think so. And frankly, um, really like don't care. Um, so it's what I believed. I am now convinced otherwise. So there are lots of people who believe one way until they don't believe that anymore. And so, you, like, you currently believe that you are a Christian. You believe all, all of the things that you believe. One day you might not anymore, right? And so, like, hopefully that's a little more clear. Does yeah, me, uh, what would you say? I'm a Christian, make me a Christian. <clears throat> huh? can, can I ask, uh, what, what would you say, like, if three years from now, I know this seems completely impossible, but like three years from now, uh, you you were in Michael's position, and you, you said, "Yeah, cannot yeah. happen." Yeah, Michael was an NPC, a non-player character, as a Christian. I am not an NPC. I'm an actual, genuine article. Right. Christian. No, I I understand. That's what you're saying. Um, what what I'm saying is that he would have said the same thing. See, I have an understanding of the Bible that it takes God to save a person. He does not have that understanding. Okay, so if but, I ever go to be an atheist, I I'm not going to say I used to be a Christian. I would say I used to think Christianity is true. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go and say I'm a former Christian like he does or you're a Constantine. There's no such thing as Christianity if there's no such thing as God. So I, I do find it super interesting that you're able to have access to my private thoughts and know what, you know, what I might actually have said or to know actually – you know what's going to happen to you in the future that's that's a, that, frankly that's amazing what is amazing is you can sit there and tell me that i'm not a christian because there's no god that's even more amazing so as, as amazing as i am you are even far more but amazing. Are, are, aren't you committing the same crime you're accusing him of right you're saying he's saying hey at one point i was a christian meaning that i followed christ to what i believed in right right so like i believe we'll be back in a I second guys. In the trinity no I'm, I am saying that he does Guys, not fuck Moses, fuck Ezra. Okay, Monchi. Back to the no, audience okay. with you. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus loves you. 
Okay, Mo, what I'm saying so, is he does not understand salvation. That's why he thinks he used to be a Christian. Because people think that confessing with your mouth and saying that Jesus is Lord is what makes one saved. No, you have to do that. But what makes one saved is when you do that in sincerity and God sees the sincerity of your heart, then God saves you. Those magic words. So also, you know, faith, faith, also you have acts, right? Because faith without, you have to have faith in God and faith without any like acts is uh, dead, right? So I, I understand no, where you're I, coming from. But we'll, we'll, so faith without acts is still alive? Don't you have to have faith in Jesus to be that saved? Is, but but, but is isn't faith with acts not dead? So you okay, do have to have some true. manner of worship, right? Here's what I'm saying. When you mention the word dead, if there's no God, then Jesus is still dead and Jesus cannot save. If Jesus cannot save, no one is saved is what I'm my point you can believe all you want you can act all you want but if Jesus is dead no one is saved so this is what I'm so would you rather him rephrase it as I was never a Christian but wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be a little bit difficult for you to refer to somebody who, who says say has Muslim faith as a Muslim but if you don't believe that Muhammad was a prophet of God or he existed, then no one is a Muslim. So why are you even speaking to people who are Muslim or referring to them like that? It, it wouldn't, what I'm trying to get at is that we use certain words, not because we accept their truth, but because we, it refers to a group and that's just a function of language, right? Like you're able to refer to people who are atheists, right? Or like, oh, you're atheist, but atheist means that there, there is no God. So how can somebody be an atheist if there is no God? Are you an atheist? No, you're just using that word to describe a group of people that hold a group of beliefs, right? So, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think there. I, I mean, I think there's two things, right? Like there, there's the like there's the theology behind it, like where where Beg is going to, which I agree with him. And then there's just the, like the terminology, which uh, Michael, I, I don't know where he went, but was talking about. So you know, it's kind of like when uh, when someone's like, oh, or, or you're a Christian. Oh, is, is that your religion? And then the Christian's like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's like, uh, okay, okay, like theologically, like spiritually, I, I understand you, it's a relationship with your creator and you're reconciled to Jesus and it's a personal relationship, but you're filling out, you know, your, your cue card and it wants no religion. So just put Christian, right? So, I mean, there's some give and take, like, you know, know your audience. So like, what is, what is the purpose? Is it to get like theologically correct? Because um, then in that case, the, the, Technically, it would be like, well, no, you were never truly a Christian because of theology. But if it's like, okay, what's your past experience? Oh, I used to be a Christian. So, I mean, I, I think like if it, it requires people to take grains of salt where applicable. So if we're talking in general terms, like if I just meet someone on the road, they're like, hey, are you uh, are you a religious person? I bet. Yeah, because I know exactly what they mean. Um, if someone's like, hey, can you explain your Christianity? And uh, is it really a religion? I'll be like, okay, well. You know, it's actually a relationship with, you know, man and God. And, and I would give them that. I mean, you know, it takes a fair amount of give and take, I think. I mean, can you... Go ahead, Josh. I was just going to ask, like, so maybe maybe a different way to for me to understand what you're saying, I, is, like, could you tell me how you know that you're a Christian? He's on the phone right now. He can't hear. Oh, Gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm it, what was the question? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I was just asking. Like, maybe a good way for me to understand what you're saying, uh, or for us to have mutual understanding, is how how do you know 
that you're a, a true Christian? I would say by faith, I believe God. God is not a liar. I mean, I think it's not a fruitful conversation because clearly, I, mean, I understand where I, I, I beg to differ com is coming from. I mean, his worldview is that, you know, God exists, God elects people, you know, for salvation. And once you're elected, you can't oh, leave. Oh, time know. out, time out, time out. I'm not, I'm not a Calvinist. No? Okay. So what, why, why don't you believe that somebody can be a Christian and then, you know, stop being a Christian and lose their salvation if you're not a Calvinist? The verse I quoted in First Corinthians, I believe it is one twenty-two. Speaking of God, He says He has sealed us, and God is not going to lose one of His own. Yeah, oh, this I is a good time to inject a friendly reminder that not all Christians hold to once saved, always saved. Personally, I am perfectly comfortable saying that believing that Michael. I mean, I, I don't think he had a full picture, right? Because I think that when you have a full picture of Christianity and a true love for God, you don't walk away from the faith. So, but you know, that comes with growth and maturity. Uh, but I know people who I believe very much were devoted to the faith and then walked away. I mean, Paul talks about that so much. So yeah, not every Christian holds to this like Osas. Yeah, Paul, Paul says, I think, was it in 1 Corinthians, that I train my body like every day, lest I be disqualified? You know, he kind of makes the analogy with the yep. runner and that kind of thing. So, See, sorry, I, I, did, I don't mean to interrupt. Um, I think when I started the answer, I, I got a red bar on my phone, so maybe I didn't hear the response. Could, would it be okay? I, it didn't seem like it might have been that long of a response. Well, how, how would you, like, how do you know that you're a Christian? His answer was, he said, God's not a liar, and then, okay. Yes, um, I don't know if I can fully convey it to you. It is part of it. I believe God. God is not a liar. He said he saves those who believe. I have believed in truth. And there's the part about our spirit witnessing within us. Now, you can have, be deceived by your own spirit and things like that, but I believe God. That's okay. So what? Short of it, I guess. Would it surprise you that I would have said all of those things and much more? Right, but here's my question to you: Do you understand what I'm saying? That if God the Father did not save you, you were not saved. Do you understand that? Sure, but I'm not sure how that applies here. Right, right, because so I could say the same thing to you, right? Right. So do you have the understanding that I have that Jesus is going to say to some people in a future date, I never knew you, meaning that some people thought they were Christians and were not. So I am not surprised by some a person saying I used to be a Christian. That was a non-player character Christian. They were not really a part of the game. They thought they were part of the game, but they were not. So do you do right, understand there's such a thing as people thinking they're saved and not being saved? You agree with that or disagree? Right. Right, but sorry, just I'll, I'll go with it. It's fine, but I mean, how do you know then that you are a true Christian? Uh, the the Bible uh, says a few things about that in First John about how we know we're saved. He that hath the Son hath life. I have the Son of God, so I know I have life. I know I have the Son of God. I know he saved me. Cannot fully convey to you how I know that, but I can tell you that I know that. How? It's by relying on what the Bible says.
but if I were to become an yeah, atheist, oh, then I invalidate my reliance on scripture by saying it is not valid. I'm not sure this is really going anywhere. Um, have we exhausted this? I just, sorry, I'll close. I guess I'll wrap it. Like, I feel like that makes my point, though, because, like, what you're describing is what Michael, I suspect, is saying. It's certainly what I would say. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is that at this, you know, time T or whatever, however that's said in philosophy, uh, that you you fully uh, have trusted that, uh, you know, uh, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that you uh, have uh, believed that God is not a liar and that, you know, when, when he writes to these things, they, that they know that they may believe or that they are the sons of God, that, that they are indeed that and that is you. And like, I, I just, I don't see how that negates the thing that you said earlier about there are people that are going to say they truly believed and, in the end, find out that they weren't. Like, how do you, I still don't understand how you don't know that's not you. Uh, okay. Uh, since runway 29L is clear for landing with no crosswinds, I'll try to bring this in for landing. The And just saying this, that the difference is if I were to wind up in your shoes and claiming to be an atheist, I'm not going to say that I used to be a Christian. I'm going to say I used to think I was a Christian. I believe that is where... He's not here. Michael, you and Constantine are. You used to think you were a Christian, but you you all don't say that you used to think you were a Christian. You used to, you say you used to be a Christian. If I ever doubted seriously that I could become an atheist because I've been sealed, as I said before, by God, and I can't fully communicate to you, as I've said previously, how I know that, but it is a witness of God's spirit with my spirit and things in in First John, it tells us we know that we are children of God by this, that, and the other. I can't quote those off the top of my head. But if I ever become an atheist, I'm not going to say I used to be a Christian. I'm going to say I used to think I was a Christian. I used to believe that God existed and things of that nature. And I do understand that there are people who think they're saved but are not these are the people who do not understand salvation. These are the people who have not fully trusted in Jesus Christ it's as their the Savior. Same. You want to give the copy of this? You yeah, got to put my tandems back, huh? I, okay. You got to put my tandems all the way back? All right. You might have to pull up and do it up here. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna he's gonna he's he's uh, yeah, he didn't realize yeah. he was unmuted. So, so right, that's uh, <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying, the difference. If I ever were in your shoes, I'm not going to say I used to be a Christian. I'm going to say I used to think I was a Christian. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, 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 yeah, I, I think we all. I'd occasionally like to, but sure. <laughs> and then let's move on. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Whoever said so, that. so like, in like a very kind of like respectful way, right? Like, this is like, for example, like, let's say I'm from Louisiana, right? And I say the following: I say, Louisiana people are the best people, and they never commit crime. And then you say, hey. Well, uh, look at this. A uh, Louisiana person does blank blank, which is a crime. And I'm like, well, no, because uh, uh, Louisiana people never do that. Therefore, he was never a true Louisianian, right? This is known as the no true Scotsman's fallacy, right? So it's I can make I, I can say, that, for example, only people that are Muslim 
uh, know the truth, right? And you're saying, well, I don't believe in that. I say, well, I'm not surprised because you're not Muslim and you don't know the truth. What it creates is this thing where there's where it's consistently redefining itself, right? And in other words, the reason why uh, people who stop um, being Christian or what you refer to as stop believing that they were Christian, in your view, are were never true Christians, is because the definition of it hinges on how constant it is, right? So once a person stops and you're like, well, he never was a Christian because it's the no true Scotland's fallacy. And if you see that in any other form of any other argument, you'd be quick to call it out. You'd be saying, hey, well, you're just defining the word uh, as, as it continues to evolve in the situation. Therefore, you can never be wrong. It's not really uh, – it's called the fallacy for a reason, right? And so in specific yeah, terms, um, no true Scotland's fallacy. I beg to differ because I never said I never used the terminology you use that he's not a Christian because of this or the other. I'm saying he wasn't if God didn't save him. I didn't say if he does this or that or the other. If God never saved anyone, if someone says there's no God, then that person is saying God never saved them. That's their own testimony. They don't realize it, but it entails them having not been a Christian before because there is no God to save them. I'm not saying I'm not using no true Scotland fallacy. I'm not saying no true Christian would ever say he wasn't a Christian or anything like that. You well, and this also goes back to what do you mean by that, right? So if he says, I was a Christian because I did the religion, I went to church three times a week, I, you know, wore my Sunday best, I, I prayed, I read my Bible. Like if he's saying like, I mean, definition of terms, right? So obviously if he's an atheist and says, no, I realize, you know, that I, I say now there is no God, there is never a God. So I wasn't like a Christian the way you mean it, uh, Beg. But he's like, you know, I was a, a Christian in every sense of, you know, like the, the, the rituals, the routine, the tithing, the reading, the going to church, all this other stuff. Then you'd say, OK, in that sense, you were a Christian. But then, of course, Christians would say, but that's not what it's about. And then so on the circle goes. But um, uh, Saint, you came up here. Did you want to say anything about this or Jesus, please, something else? Uh, Saint, if you're speaking. Uh, OK, maybe not Saint. Well, if you want to talk, just let us know. Yeah, if I may, I, th I think neither Josh nor I nor Michael who work here, we would say we just followed the rituals. I mean, I can speak for myself. I sincerely believed in, you know, in Christ and, uh, you know, did plenty of things that, you know, I prayed daily. You know, I would go on prayer walks around my neighborhood and talk, I thought I was talking to God and uh, all that stuff. So it definitely wasn't rit ritualistic. I didn't see it as religion. No, no, no. Sure. <clears throat> well, well, right, but now... We have to get away from this topic. Like we've exhausted it. Um, the dead horse is dying again. But by virtue of okay. what he's saying, though, like uh, Constantine, you believed it, right? But now, in your most current uh, iteration, you would say you don't believe it. You you sh uh, you should. Uh, your current belief says even though you did believe it, you were believing something that was not true. Because your most current belief says, you know, you don't believe there's a God or your lack of belief in this right, God. Right. Therefore, therefore, you didn't really be like believe in this God. Like you believe there was a God, but there was no God to believe in. Therefore, you, you get where I'm going? Like yeah, based yeah, on sure what I you're saying now. So like, like you totally believed it. Right. Yeah, I would say when I was praying, I was talking to myself. You know, that's that's how I see it now. But at the time, <clears> I, was, I yes. was convinced I was talking to God. I, mean, I was completely convinced. Right, and then that's also different from what Beg is saying, which, um, you know, there's a difference in believing your, you know, believing God from your perspective, 
And then, you know, if God is true, like we believe he is, um, God actually, you know, by the Holy Spirit sealing you, like the Bible says, and you legit being saved. You know, like I think there are people that will believe they're, they're saved and on God's good side, um, but they, they actually may not be. Um, so, so even from that perspective, there's more than one perspective. There's your perspective, like saying, I really, really believe this stuff. And then there's like God's perspective, like, well, you know, anyone he saves, he's not going to lose any of them versus people he doesn't save. So, so yeah, but, um, oh, well, Michael, welcome back. <laughs> um, you missed nothing. Uh, does anyone else happen to have a different topic though? Cause I mean, this has really been exhausted. Yeah. I just asked Mo, you driving truck for home. Do you drive? If you can say. Oh, I've been driving for three years. I'm actually on a semi right now. Okay. I'm a truck driver also. Not in the truck right now, but I can see it from where I sit. <clears throat> oh, nice, nice. I imagine Clubhouse is like the best thing that ever happened to truck drivers. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like you can you can work and make money and like talk to people. And I don't know. I imagine that's probably a pretty nice thing to have while you're on the I have thought about that before. I thought, you know, it would be nice if I was just like, you know, in, in a truck, like on an interstate, like it'd probably be super hectic, like in, in cities, like I would hate that. But as far as like, just like on the highway, like interstate, where you just kind of like, and this is probably all the truck drivers are going to scream at me, but you know, kind of zone out and <laughs> just, just do your thing. I'm probably sure that's like truck driver 101, like never, never say you're just going to zone out while you're behind the wheel. But do you know what I mean? Or, or I should just never try to be a truck driver with that attitude. Uh, okay, no yeah, one's you offended that them into I, silence. That, They're hard. That probably means I. That probably means I stepped in it. <laughs> hey, Theo, welcome. What's up, Theo? Hello, Nate. Uh, hello, Steph, and Michael, and Joshua. Thank you, different Constantine. Mo. Yeah, good to see everybody. Um, yeah, like I was just kind of thinking about what you guys were saying, uh, and, um. Yeah, like, you know, Philippians 1, 6, it says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, and like, I guess like a few thoughts. One is that, you know, like God chooses us before the foundation of the world. Um, so there is like this thing of election, which I think is interesting. And then another thought is that, you know, like Christianity is about our relationship with God. Um, you know, it's, yeah, so you, you know, we, we have a relationship with God, so it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, like in, in the book of Hosea, God commands Hosea to go and marry a wife who's going, who's going to be unfaithful to him. And he uses that as a picture to the Jews to go and say, Hey, like, this is what you guys are doing to me is that you are going after all of these uh, false dead gods like uh, Astroth, Olek, and these different things. Uh, so the reason why like idolatry or worshiping things other than God is a sin, it's because you, you do have this relationship with God. Right? And, and like you and I, when we put other things above God, that's like being spiritually unfaithful, uh, you know, spiritually unfaithful to him. So we, we can't be spiritually unfaithful to someone that we do not know. Uh, you know, like like if you never met your wife, you can be unfaithful to her. Uh, but you can only be unfaithful to someone whom you do know. Uh, so 
I, mean, I, th- I think that was kind of like a, a thought there. I was just, I was thinking about the whole perseverance of the Saints thing and, and like trying to wrap my mind around all that. Yeah. And I mean, well, thanks for that, Theo. And I also think, you know, depending how you interpret this, um, like the parable of the sower, right? Like how some people, like where, where, what's everyone's take on that? Like how some people, you know, they hear the message, they have joy, it falls on good seed or, or you know, it falls on, on what rocky soil. So it like takes effect for a while. Um, and then, you know, it's not on good, like a good soil or whatever. So it goes away. And, you know, the other one, it's, it's like, um, they hear it and it's on good soil and it takes, that would be, you know, what the, the goal of Christians is to be one of these good seed people where they're a Christian for the rest of their lives. Um, and then there's, there's the ones that, you know, it, it seems to take, but then it gets kind of weeded out by like the cares of this world and all these other reasons why it gets weeded out. Um, so I, I guess it also depends on that because some will say, well, you know, all but the last one is never truly saved. And then another perspective is, well, all of those, like three out of four of those are saved, um, but they can lose their salvation. So again, you know, it's, it's the OSAS conversation again, but I mean, that makes me think of the parable of the sower. So anyways, that's just Maybe, one more thing mind to, um, yeah, go ahead. Do you mind if I just say one one last thing? I may want to move on. Sorry, but I, I I think the reason this becomes I don't know uh, gets people's ire up. I guess uh, like when when, when it, if you have someone who is a is a former Christian, um, is that it's one thing to say, all right, look, like theologically, uh, I know. It, or I believe that X is the case. So if I have somebody who says they were a Christian, but now they're an atheist, my theological understanding of that is that that can be the case. They were never really a Christian. Like, I don't, I don't really think anybody is bothered by that. It's when you try to justify that, like to find justification practically for that. So some of the things that I've heard are like, you didn't really understand what it means to be saved. Like, that's where it starts to become problematic, right? But can I um, ask? You didn't really believe. Um, like, you you believed X about it when it really, this is like, I would just encourage everybody to, like, not go down that road. If, you, if, you're, if you're talking to someone, however you want to use that term, former Christian, former believe, believe they were a Christian, whatever, like, trying to, to yourself... Uh, justify your theological position by ascribing motivations or lack of understanding or lack of belief. I understand why someone might want to do that, obviously. Um, But that's what I think causes people like Michael and Constantine and me to be like, yeah, please don't tell me that I didn't understand. Because I I mean, I I don't mean this disrespectfully at all. Um, But most of the people that say that to me, I understood the biblical text and the plan of salvation probably better than they do. And I just, I mean that. I, I, I honestly do mean that. Uh, that's, I, I don't feel like I'm an arrogant person. Well, well it's, I mean, it's kind of like <clears throat> everyone has their heels to die on. So like, you know, where's the hill to die on? So is it to quibble about stuff that's just going to like inflame people? Even if you are just sure you're right about something. Um, I mean, there's lots of times where there's a bigger picture, right? So like, do you want to win the battle and lose the war type type thing? Like, you know, 30,000 foot zoomed out view. So it's like, even, even if like, you know, cause I mean, I, I don't get hung up about words maybe to a fault. 
it's like words, phrases, like I used to be a Christian, you know, now they worship Satan, uh, whatever. Like, I don't care. Like, I'll just take people at the word, whether I think they're, they're true or false or lying to me or deceiving themselves. It doesn't matter. Like, whatever the gambit they could be in, I usually take people about their word if I think there's, like, a larger point. So, like, I, I mean, it's almost like, okay, so if, I, if I'm in Beg's position, I, I would be like, okay, you say you were a Christian. I would have some qualms about that. However, the bigger point is you are currently, by everyone's admission, not a Christian, even your own. So here's Jesus. Why don't you try praying to Jesus? Like, let's let's get you uh, get you to Jesus. Like that that would be the zoomed out view, uh, because whether or not they were a Christian the right way or were a Christian the wrong way, um, it doesn't matter. The fact is now everyone agrees they are not a follower of Christ. So from the Christian perspective, um, I would say that would be the goal. From the non-Christian perspective, for theirs, um, I don't know what their hill to die on is, um, but you know they can they can run for for that themselves. But I would say from the Christian perspective, uh, you know all roads point to Christ. So if it's gonna like get someone's ire up, um, I would just forego that and be like, well, if they're gonna get mad, let's just talk about Jesus a whole lot and let them get okay. mad about that. <laughs> can can I say this? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Go ahead. So <clears throat> let's say uh, hypothetically, I'm right. If I am hypothetically right, then and they were not Christians, then they were not practicing their Christianity that they practiced. They were not practicing it in the power of God, with the help of God. So they have already tried it, and it didn't work for them. So right now, they have no need to or desire to go back to it. If I could, and I'm not trying to convince them that they were wrong, but if they were able to see that they were not truly saved, then maybe they can say, okay, I was doing this the wrong way. I was an NPC. Now let me try it God's way, because I already did it my way, and it did not work for me. Let me try it the right way. I'm trying to show them. My point is that they were not a Christian in God's eyes, and that's why it didn't work for them. That's why they're not trying to practice Christianity anymore. They're not going to go back and try it again. It's all, they've already failed at it, but they failed at their version. They did not fail at God's version. No one is perfect, but no one fails at God's version. We have sins, we have faults, but when we do it God's way, we are saved. Now, my point is I'm asking all of those who say that you to be a Christian. When you were a Christian, do you understand that according to the Bible, not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian? If you can't understand that, then why cannot you understand that perhaps you also were not a Christian? If you can understand that you were not a Christian, then you should be willing to give Jesus a chance or a second chance. I shouldn't say a second chance because I don't think he had the first chance. But try it again. Do it again. Okay. Now, I cannot tell you what you got wrong. All I can say is you got it wrong. And that's why you're saying you're not a Christian now. So I find that, yeah, I find this super interesting because because Josh really like addressed this way, way better than I ever could. When he asked you the rhetorical, somewhat rhetorical question of, you know, what would happen three years from now if you were in the same position, right? So, like, and... <sighs> My, unfortunately, on this Friday late morning, my charitability is running thin. So I'm only going to say this one last time. I believed. I, I, and I think I believed much as you do now. I changed my mind and became convinced otherwise. The other person you're impugning, or at least one, or like one of the other people you're, you're impugning with this, 
uh, my, my friend Josh. Um, he's he's understating uh, his knowledge by um, I don't know the Milky Way galaxy, um, and and I would argue that you know unless unless you've got you know the the level of education that that he has, then what he said is true, in that he has a much better understanding of the actual texts than you likely ever will. Um, so I, I, find, I just, I find all that super interesting, but I, I don't think I have the capacity to explain, then re-explain, then re-explain, then use smaller words and re-explain what it is I, I believed. I understand what it is the Bible says. I don't look at the Bible anymore as a reliable source of information. That's a big problem when you tell me to look at what the Bible says. Because the same Bible that says all the things that, that you say about salvation and so on and so forth also says things that do not comport with reality. So this is why it's problematic for me. But for the last time, I was a Christian. I am no longer a Christian. And I okay. think... <clears throat> I don't know if you understood my question. I didn't ask. You uh, hang on, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. I, I, I have to go. Thank God. Like this, this is obviously the last conversation of the day. We're not getting off of this, but I'm, I'm way past my time, anyways. But I would just say, you know, it's, it's just like, regardless. And to beg uh, what you said, I think two times ago, was if uh, people, um, you know, if they tried it before, why would they try it again? Um, Jesus sort of addresses, eh, not really, but I think we, we can apply a little bit of John. John 6, 44, 43 and 44 to this. Um, ultimately, it's God that draws them, right? So if people were culturally Christians and, you know, they, they quote, were a Christian because um, mom and dad took them to church. So, you know, they, they had this head knowledge. Um, you know, they acknowledged God with their lips but denied, you know, the power they're in, that type thing. Uh, or acknowledged God with their heart, lips but their hearts were heart far from him. And they just kind of went through the motions and that's how they tried Christianity. Uh, you know, John 6, 43 Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the uh, father who sent me draws them. So, um, you know, if perhaps the father was not drawing them before, and, you know, I mean, you said LARPing. I don't mean to say that disingenuous, but I mean, really, if, if they're like, okay, well, my parents say this, here's the Bible, this is what Sunday school teaches me to believe, so I guess I'll believe this, and the father wasn't drawing them, um, they did not. And, you know, we see an example, like, you know, many people left Jesus. This is after he says, you know, this is the, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Um, and then he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they thought he was ca calling them to cannibalism, which is not what was happening. But they're like, this is a hard teaching. How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? And they left. So that could be a parallel of what's happening here. The father was not drawing said people. They just did it for any other number of reasons. And they left it or, you know, got away or espoused a lack of belief because of whatever reasons. Um, so perhaps the, the father will draw them at some point. So you say, what reason would they have to try again? Well, the father drawing them would be the reason they had to try again. So I, who knows how that happens? If that's saying something in a conversation that gives them something to think about, if they think it's been 30 years, I may as well give this another shot. Let's test this again. Um, anyways, that's all I'd say for the last thing, but I, I am going to have to run. Uh, uh, Apostle and, and Stephen, um, do you guys want to say anything for like really, really quick before I got to go? Well, since you guys have been up here and haven't spoke yet, uh, like please, super quick. <laughs> uh, first of all, well, good morning. I uh, hope it's not storming where you are. Not <laughs> <why> I am. <laughs> um, 
because it's still dark. I, the rain just stopped and it looks like it's about to start up. But real quickly, I cannot say that I used to be a Christian because I because it doesn't make sense to be one and then leave the teachings uh, and uh, teachings and following Jesus Christ and what He said to do. Um, and if you follow Jesus Christ, how can you be, leave Him? It's not leaving Christianity. Is leaving Christ, and that's a problem. Uh, Stephen, would you like to say anything super quick? Oh, just just this. The only question I ever have on that is, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ, or did you just know the? Did you just know religion, or did you ever really know Jesus? So that was that was it. And that's that. that I was just going to ask you about uh, Matthew seven twenty one through twenty three, and you know, depart from me, I never knew you. So what does it what does it mean to know Jesus? That was it. All right, that, 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 that was it. I, I, I did send you a back channel that was just meant to be in jest, and I won't say what it was up on stage. I'm done <laughs> I saw that. That was funny. You got to oh, okay, laugh okay. out of me. You got to oh, laugh okay. for me. Uh, you know, the, the part... um... Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. St. You spoke either. <laughs> uh, do, uh, isn't the like, parable of the soil a good example of people who like got close to God and then something happened and they. They no longer believe. Like if Michael honestly read the soil, I think he could find out who he is in that parable. And so my question also for Nate, would you say that's that's about salvation too? Like people, the soil, the different types of soil. Well, yeah, I don't know if you heard or if it's why you said that, but yeah, I mean, I, I brought that up just a little bit ago. And, you know, that's like, well, can multiple types of soil be saved and lose it? Or is it only the last soil that's really saved and they're forever going to be saved? So, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's how someone looks at that verse, but I mean, I, I think there is a lot there and, and people could maybe, like you said, I mean, you, I didn't say to read it, maybe that would be a good idea to read it and be like, which type of soil were you? Were you the last kind, the truly, truly believing soil? And, you know, you can say you didn't let the cares of the world get away. You didn't let all this other stuff get in the way. And then for some other reason you lost it. But yeah, I think that's a good point. But guys, thank you for joining me. Um, have a awesome weekend and we'll see you next week. And yeah, Stephen, we'll get to the Matthew thing. Um, yeah, I, I just have to go. But yeah, no, no, if you can Monday, we'll get to the Matthew thing. Take right, care, everybody. I don't know if anyone has a follow room. Oh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you can follow some of these people if you want. I'll give you a couple seconds. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I like to have a follow-up room to. Uh, and hey, great room. Thank you for having it open. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, well, maybe you could start one. If you want to follow each other, you got like ten seconds. Countdown to follow. Gotcha. Ten, nine, eight. All right. Take care. Have an awesome weekend. See you guys later.